1: Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook, do get involved, we would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to the Mary Rose. God, this, it feels like it's been ages, but that's because I think I just haven't turned up Um this could be really good fun today. Everybody is quite excited. Uh, I am jaded today, people. As I go around, I want to ask you. So today I realised that if necessary, could actually have a properly switched on, engaged conversation about Serbian pig exports and a tariff war of nineteen six. if I had to. What is the most pointless and what do you resent most? Which bit of historical knowledge that you have had to learn along your way has pained you? The most. Let's start with Lockie. Lockie, how you doing?
2: Hey, yeah, good. Um, Please Alexa. say
1: Waterloo because that's what you're working on now, <laughs> and I just want to see Zach's face.
2: No, I just I, I'm thinking back, and actually, kind of some of the prep I did for um, Berlin tours that I never ended up running was pretty useless and crap. So I'm thinking, uh, knowing which window of the Adlon Hotel. Uh, Michael Jackson dangled his baby out of (laughs) I think is the most useless pointless knowledge I have tucked away
1: excellent Uh, at least it wasn't a travel lodge though to be fair to him
2: (laughs) No, true enough posh hotel baby dangling there you
1: go right and on that note Charlie have you ever dangled a baby out of a window
3: I couldn't possibly comment, but I did used to work next to the hotel where Michael Jackson used to stay when he was in London, and you used to get all the crazy fans outside chanting his name all day. So there's Michael Jackson connection. But uh, in terms of useless knowledge, it's all good because it helps in university challenge, but I resent most being taught the Arab-Israeli conflict at school because you realise that there ain't no hope there.
1: Yeah, there ain't no hope there and nothing <laughs> you can do with this information that isn't going to nope. do just the fuck out of everybody nope. you know, right? <laughs> exactly. Excellent. Dorman. Uh,
4: the most pointless information I have is probably my PhD thesis, but outside of that, <laughs> um, I'm still working on the best form of execution for a Portuguese referee. So,
1: uh, yeah. So, what? tell me what happened last night. So, you went ahead.
4: Yeah, Ireland went ahead on the 45th minute against Portugal. This was after our 19-year-old hero goalkeeper saved a penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo. It was going really well. Then Ronaldo got away with punching someone. Uh, should have been sent off. Wasn't. And the ref smiled as he booked him later on, so there was clearly something there. And then they equalised, which was fair. That was okay. And he broke his record. Yay. And then the ref seemed to decide that next goal wins. <laughs> And now I'm really upset because the last game we played, we lost to Luxembourg and it looked like we weren't going to lose this time. And now I'm really, really upset.
1: Oh, so as we go around the rest of the room, as well as uh, sharing your most pointless bit of historical information that you present, you can also share a method of execution. Holmes, how you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm not
5: too bad. I, I don't think, I mean, I remember doing Henry VIII for Ray level, which is a bit tedious, but To be fair, there's always a bit of value in in history. The worst thing ever is studying conveyancing as part of your solicitor's (laughs) finals. Nothing will stop that for utter tediousness. And knowing that you're never going to go into it, but you have to tick the box to do it. On a cold, cold November night in Westminster, when all your workmates are down the pub and you're sitting there doing stuff that you know you've got to learn just to pass an exam in three months' time.
1: Excellent. I'm pretty sure that we ran it close with those 5,000 pages of war diaries from the lines of communication during the great retreat, though.
5: Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, the, the I'm, yeah. bits of paper <laughs> yeah. with a footprint on.
5: They've gone now. I've completely forgotten about them. It's like they didn't exist.
1: Excellent. Uh, method of execution for Dorman suggestion?
5: Um, I, I think execution is going a bit far, isn't it? Maybe just to sort of Maybe he's a light reprimand and he sit down and read the rules again, like a sort of detention thing. Have
4: you ever known an Irishman to take things, you know, lying down and not overreact? <laughs> but, but,
5: but I'm looking at I'm looking at, if this was the other, other way, then I don't think we get a massively sympathetic hearing from Dorman, even if the you know, the anger was entirely justified.
1: Oh god. This this is true, but the temptation to watch someone get waterboarded with Guinness is quite I'm quite liking that. That's my, that's that's actually my suggestion. Uh James, how, how is Birmingham?
6: Yeah, it's all right, a bit cooler now. Um yeah, just sorting stuff for next week. Scary. Did you steal Tom Cruise's car? <laughs> no, and I I don't think I know who did, but it just hasn't surprised me. <laughs> I
1: have to ask, before you start teaching small people who are going to make your life a misery as it is next week, are you going to shave your little bum fluff lockdown beard off?
6: Yes, yes, it's all going. <laughs> it's all going. I, just,
1: I say it with love in my heart, they're going to fucking No,
6: no don't worry, it's all going. <laughs> it's just I'm trying to save myself as much work as possible, focus on other things at the moment that need sorting and then just get rid of it after.
1: Yeah, they they will eat you alive, man, if you don't.
6: I mean, it's oh. not going to take.
5: It's not going to take long to shave it off either. It's not like a whole morning job. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. Well, it's not. become. A, it sounds like it's become a point of principle to cling onto it for as long as possible. James, what's the most pointless bit of historical information you've had to inflict on yourself?
6: Oh God! Um, all history's worth knowing, uh, but the probably. The I don't really like prehistory as such. And to help a friend read through their dissertation, I had to throw myself into Bulgarian prehistory for quite a while to read through it all, to understand it all. And I was bored out of my mind, but I was just trying to do the best job for a friend. As soon as I finished reading it, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as soon as I finished reading it, I think
4: most of it went out of the window. Don't you study archaeology? How can you not like prehistory? Because there's a lot more
6: archaeology than prehistory.
5: <laughs> well, also, surely that that time you you uh, you prepared by studying the plot of a video game. Surely that must qualify. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no, I Was this friend that. a
5: good-looking girl?
6: <laughs> yeah, of course. And they're still good friends, to be fair.
1: <laughs> I bet. after oh, you read that shit. A uh, kit. How is Bogota?
7: Columbia is lovely. It's a, it's a nice day. Um, it's, it's a little bit dodgy after sort of nine o'clock at night. You're not supposed to go out or anything, but mostly it's fine.
1: <laughs> mostly it's fine as long as you don't go out in the dark, is what you're saying.
7: That is exactly right. And don't get taxis, always get Ubers and, you know, don't carry a phone or anything like that.
1: Excellent. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> uh, so what is the Oh, I mean, You are the king of useless knowledge. Which bit do you resent the most?
7: I've, I've had to learn so much pointless crap. Uh, I, mean, I remember going through um, someone's diaries and I had to learn his educational policies in the 1980s Reagan administration, like I gave a toss. Um, I've won, I once won tickets to V festival with pointless history knowledge uh, on a, on a phone-in radio show for no reason. Um, so most of it is useful. Um, I guess the most pointless thing I know is I memorised the order the Marines die in the movie Aliens um, during my history uh, GCSE exam.
1: Uh, Kate, what I love about your um, blurred background is that the wine glass is blurred, but you're not. So when you're drinking, you just look like a very drunk, addled person miming drinking a glass of wine. <laughs> it's we- good, isn't it? I thought I should blur the background. I didn't think you needed to see my bedroom. Excellent. Uh, so what is the most pointless bit of history knowledge you've ever had to... I don't
8: think there is any because I, I didn't go to school that much. So if I didn't like something, I just didn't go. Um, and obviously, once I left school, I wasn't obliged to do anything I didn't want to do. So I haven't.
5: There's, there's going to be a few school kids in the Birmingham area who are going to experience that that sentiment in the next few weeks. I imagine.
1: <laughs> oh, burn, Chris, buddy, how are you doing? Uh, how is the zombie phone? Yeah.
9: Um. Well, I don't know, because I knocked it off the desk and it started doing that, turning itself on and off again repeatedly. It's like, oh, crap. Um, and because I tried everything to try and reboot it, it wasn't going to work. So I dropped it on the floor and it started working again. So it's now on a cushion in my bedroom, hoping, hopefully living for the rest of the night.
1: So what we're sh- saying is we should be quite early, just <laughs> in case. Uh, most pointless. Oh, share everyone for pointless history, but I don't think we resent it because I am actually having justice for Dennis T-shirts made. Tell everyone about Dennis the pig. <laughs>
9: I've got another pointless one as well, but um, Dennis um, was the mascot of HMS Kent in 1914 to 15. Um, and she, he used to hang out with the ship's butcher they There's used to a nap together awesome on the deck.
1: There's a picture of them having a nap together, isn't there? The butcher and the pig. Yeah.
9: Well, they, they, found a, they met up with a Japanese cruiser. I think it was the Izumo. And um, because Dennis was smelly and taking up a lot of space, the British had decided that they should slaughter it. But they couldn't because he was a shipmate. So they gave him to the Japanese so they could slaughter him and put him on their rice uh, in exchange for a turtle.
1: Justice a... Dennis. The T shirt yes. being made as we speak. and what was your other one what's the one you resent because we don't this is
9: well I had uh, um, I did pre-industrial England um, and we did uh, we were shown a graph that showed the rising cost of a basket of consumables over between like 1500 and 1750 and it got to the end of this and we could see how it rose and etc and then we someone put their hand up and said what is a basket of consumables and the lecturer said changes every year so basically we're looking at a basket of crap that could be anything in 1500 to 1750 and the price goes up. But it could have some, So it actually means nothing. So there is some history that's not worth knowing.
1: No, I'd resent that as well. Uh, and if a method of execution, you must have a good naval one for Dorman.
9: I haven't got a naval one. I've got a German one, which is fairly oh. dark. Um, yeah. 19, 1944, post Stauffenberg. You break the legs, and then you hang them by piano wire from the back of a doorknob. And they can't stand. They can't stand up because their legs are broken, and they just slowly, slowly die.
5: What can help us?
1: <laughs>
9: mm.
10: <laughs> <laughs> you really didn't like your, your ex-wife, did you?
1: I just so, so sound-wise, <laughs> that, that sounds like Dorman disapproves. He sat there nodding his bloody head all the way through that, Take, like, taking that, notes. That, yeah, Heather, yeah, like... <laughs> <words. laughs> <Ever. laughs>
11: how is Ohio? Uh, finally not in the 90s so that's great
1: shut up it's miserable and cold and winter here and we want sunshine no moaning about it being warm at uh, most pointless bit of history that um, you want to cram probably the stuff I asked you to do at your library last week no that wasn't bad um, although had you not done that you would not have learned about that carrier pigeon the next county over that returned home after two years missing he found his way home
11: he must have been male because he won't stop for directions. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, no, but then I was like, I want to know what the life expectancy is of a pigeon. Because if it's much more than about two years, I'd be surprised. In which case, I'm thinking it was just another pigeon and they were all dumb. Your uh, resentful history um, or an execution method?
11: Uh, for execution method, let's tie him up, spread eagle in between the goalposts and just hammer him with a bunch of soccer balls until he dies that i like there's there's
1: some darkness there that's actually themed i like it
4: you realize like... how long it would take for the irish football team to land that many accurate soccer <laughs> balls <on a> man. <laughs>
11: <laughs> I, I didn't say it had to just be the irish uh
0: okay, fair players <laughs> i mean
11: they could they could sell tickets to the fans and have them wheel away because I'm sure
1: well, they wheel- could find a footballer from the championship or upwards and get them to do it for
4: them. <laughs> I'm just going to beat this guy to death with a hurl. That's
1: Beth. Beth's too nice to have an execution method, aren't you? Who am I kidding? No, uh, you No, one.
12: not too nice.
1: Go on. What would you I, do for him?
12: That's just a, a a cover story that I'm too nice. Um, well, my, my useless history. I, I couldn't think of anything and then I remembered. Doing a, at uni, um, I literally I can't remember what the other choice was, but I just picked for one of my semesters. I picked uh, something to, like Victorian England, and there was a series of lectures about Victorian spiritualism. But yes. the execution method, I think the theming, it, I liked the football theming, but then if you go Irish theming, I was thinking do classic like Vlad the Impaler and impale them on the sticks. But as the sticks are making their way up the body and then to come out of the mouth, um, while all of that's going on in the background, right in front of them, where they can't escape it, they've got river dance going on for hours and hours and hours until they (laughs) die.
1: Charlie's looking absolutely shocked. She thought she knew (laughs) you. That's just that's just cruel.
3: Could they also be playing kind of panpipe moods as well? But it's the Celine Dion song from um, from Titanic.
1: Ooh. They could
2: have an aromatherapist or someone like that applying some tea tree <laughs> oil to their wounds. Well, this will <laughs> help.
1: Matt, bony, you're far too much of a grown-up to consider ways to kill people, aren't you?
13: That's just a referee. You don't give them much thought, dear.
1: You? <laughs> you? fucking <laughs> smiled. If Fulham if <laughs> fans got wound up every time they got screwed over, there'd be no, no emotion left with them map
13: that whole bit about referees made me think about um, Rodney Marsh and Pele in the seventies when he arrived in Tampa Bay and someone had said, oh, Rod, I hear you're the, the white Pele. And he said, no, he's the black Rodney Marsh. And Pele basically scythed him down in the next game that they played together. <laughs> and uh, Marsh rolled over to the referee whose name I was trying to find and a lad from Sheffield. And he was like, you're going to book him? And he said, Rod, look around. There's 120,000 people here. Do you really here to see Pele? Do you really think I'm going to book Pele in front of 120,000 people? And Rodney Marsh just went, "Yeah, that's fair enough," and got up and removed Pele's <laughs> studs from the side of his head and, and played the rest <laughs> of the game. Yeah. To be fair, Tampa Bay did beat the Cosmos five-one, but yeah, which is like a Fulham scoreline at the moment. So
1: it's going to be unbearable, isn't it, Beth? Until you go past him. Speaking of people who are unbearably smug because their football teams are completely drama-free and actually just winning at the moment, apart from when Anthony Taylor's involved, Clive, lovely Clive. How are you, Alex? Clive, oh, you're a vicious, blood-sucking lawyer, you must know some ways to off people.
10: <laughs> I was thinking actually just simply grotting. Because the good thing about grotting is you don't have to look them in the face mm. while you're doing it. <laughs> That's the fun part. <laughs>
1: Is anyone gone. else really disturbed by Chris after this conversation, <laughs> Zach? Babyface, co judge tonight. If we ever get this started, uh, I'm pretty sure you'll have a dark and hideous way of getting rid of someone.
14: I mean, I have two. I've been thinking about this studiously for you, Dorman, Because, I, well, I can't say I feel your pain because it's football and it's just like, nah, whatever. But um, one option, I guess, would be to strip them naked. This isn't going to get kinky. Don't worry, Chris. Um, and then place them over some shoots of bamboo, because bamboo grows at the rate of a couple of feet a day. So it's uh, long and painful. And Dorman looks like he's absolutely fucking loving this. Um, so you might want to write that
5: one down. Hang on, Zach, um, can, you, can you grow bamboo in Ireland? Have we thought this through? Uh, no, yeah, I didn't. Swear enough. Through.
4: We've got greenhouses, man. <laughs> <laughs> We've discovered glass. <laughs> There's a window. a <laughs>
1: window. Did you discover it or did the English bring it over?
14: Italian lad did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Zach.
14: Oh, you want my second one as well? Um, Well, the next one would be, I'm I'm going right back to one of my early down the pub performances and you want to wait until they're having sex on a rising piano and then (laughs) (laughs) jam the button so that it rises up
5: so that what goes up doesn't come down. Um, Hmm. So that's, that's, have we explore to see if Dortmund's got a budget for this? Because Zach, Zach's are sounding a little bit pricey to me.
4: <laughs> yeah. I can barely afford a flight to Portugal, so it's going to have to be remote. <laughs> <laughs> can so I kill
11: you him over just, Zoom? You borrow a piano and then just never give it back.
4: Oh, if there's a
9: body squish. No, right. get impounded by the police. So,
11: Precisely.
1: right? Okay, let's get this this show on the road with all you weird and twisted. Am people. I not going to do my torture thing? <laughs> oh, we, you've got sound now. <laughs> I've got sound now. Yeah, go on. All right, you may. You may torture. All
7: right, I'm going to go to Ireland for this one and County Wicklow. Mm-hmm. And a what they used to do was put people into a giant hamster wheel, 40 people at a time, and start the wheel spinning. And the, the moment they stopped, obviously they all started tumbling down and they would crush each other under the weight of their bodies.
4: Mm. That's fair. Interesting that they still do that in Wicklow to generate electricity. <laughs>
1: I've got forty people on my shit list that we can chuck in the ball with him. Does that work for you? Absolutely. Excellent. Right, let's get this show on the road. We are going tonight. This should be a good one because we are going to talk about the most overdone crap in history. We've talked about the stuff we resent the most, but what are you one hundred percent just sick and tired of hearing about? Uh, I feel that I feel like I know. So, bearing in mind that our Jovial little private chat group is called the Titanic Nazi Sex Tudors because that's all you need to slap on a podcast to get like 15,000 downloads. Uh, I think some of those might come up, um, although I don't know if this lot are ever tired of hearing about sex. Where should we go first? Hmm, I'm trying to catalog who's asked for what. Ah, Chris, let's do you first in case Zombie Phone shits out.
9: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not, but um, cool. Okay, so um, on the 1st of September, 1985, Robert Ballard uh, made a discovery of a shipwreck um, that um, has inspired film and histories and books and people going on and on and on about it. It wasn't the Bismarck, although that can fuck off too. Um, That was found in 1989 by the same guy. It's the Titanic. Now, I'd like to so point many out other people.
1: Before you start, that I am one of the people that's made a living out of crapping on about it.
9: Yep. <laughs> no, it <is. laughs>
1: before you completely <laughs> shred it.
9: Oh, no, I don't, I don't shred. Well, uh, we'll see. Um, so, um, I, like so many other people, uh, was captivated. I mean, I was like five or six at the time um, by the wreck and the pictures, and wasn't this fantastic? And in 1997, I um, wanted to go and watch the movie, um, not for a date, Natalie never mind or because Kate Winslet was naked because you know I'd I'd seen other porn I was more into the sinking of the ship because I've actually got some real serious issues apparently um I'm like a good history nerd having watched the movie I went and demolished um vast amounts of books on the subject uh when we got the VHS I took it round to my granddad's house who I I respect his opinion on everything and he was one that got me into history so you can blame him for this and at the end of the after three hours of watching this he sat there and went they should just leave the Titanic alone. It's someone's grave, and it's not—it's uh, not even that much of an interesting disaster. I mean, what about the Princess Alice? Have you looked at that? So, I'm not going to sort of shred Titanic as a thing. I'm going to look at why the f- why are we interested in this? So, um, a uh, spoiler alert: there will be some Germans in this <laughs> now. The, <laughs> The first film made about Titanic, there are. How many films are there about Titanic, Chris? Do you come to that in a minute? Yeah. Well, the first film that ever was made about Titanic was made 29 days after the sinking. Uh, and it had a survivor in it, uh, Dorothy Gibbs, uh, Gibson, who, or, yeah, I can't read my writing. Um, she was a silent film actress who happened to be on the ship when it sank. There have been 17 films featuring Titanic, 26 TV appearances and movies, but that's not including documentaries. Um, It's just saturated. There are countless books ranging from survivors' testimonies to technical guides, technical guides in case we want to build one for Pete's sake. And then um, conspiracy theories that she didn't really think it was all an insurance scam and it was probably the Olympic. But um, but but why are we so interested in this? Was it because the ship was they said the ship was unsinkable? No, because nobody bloody did in the first place. Um, Is it the death toll? Well, if it's for a high death toll you want, let's start looking at other places. Um, In 1987, the uh, highest uh, um, non-war-based death toll was in the Philippines with uh, 4,000 people when a ship, uh, uh, the Dona Pass, collided with an oil tanker. The oil went up and uh, ignited the sea and killed everyone on board. Other ships are comparable uh, for luxury, etc. Lusitania sunk in 1915, 1,193 people killed. Our uh, rum is good. <clears throat> Sorry, what was the question? Oh, yes. Um, talking about Germany, the Wilhelm Gustav uh, during uh, Operation Hannibal to remove, to save countless Germans, uh, refugees from the Russians, to be withdrawn from Prussia, Wilhelm Gustav was torpedoed by the Russians and roughly about 9,000 souls went down on her. <laughs> no, no mum, no mama jokes. Um, if you want to, um, Look at uh, examples of heroism. HMS Birkenhead, when she founded off um, the African coast, the army stood to attention as the water rose and the women and children were allowed to leave and the soldiers waited until they were finally dismissed and then were brutally eaten by sharks. Um, should we put it down to officer incompetence? Well, it's a bit unfair on the Titanic, but um, OK, let's, the Royal Navy, the Royal Navy are always good for incompetence. HMS Curacao uh, pulled across in front of A- the Queen Mary during convoy duty and following one of the rules of the sea that everybody gets way- gives way to the Royal Navy found herself getting cut in half with 337 of her crew going down with her. Uh, we have the HMS Victoria uh, which was Admiral Tyrone's flagship which was um, ra- um, rammed and sunk by HMS Camper Town killing 358 on board because the Admiral gave the wrong orders and then just to prove that the Germans can always do something slightly better than the British uh, off um, Folkestone, uh, the Grosser Kurfürst, uh, tr- um, tried to move out of the way of some sailing boats and got cut in half by her um, consort, uh, König William, killing 269 Germans. Or in one naval book I read, uh, said this proves that the German Navy aren't capable of navigating a duck across a bathtub. I forget my point. I just want to talk about shipwrecks. Um, so, but yeah, my point is, I suppose, is we go on and on about Titanic. It's in films and everyone goes on. And isn't it fantastic? What a great story. Well, no, not really, because there are better shipwrecks. There are better stories. Titanic was just one of those accidents that happened with the Princess Alice disaster. Um, it's fairly similar. She was going down the River Thames and got cut in half by a collier, um, the Bywell Castle. It was the highest um, death rate, it still is, of um, people in, uh, on boats, in British in waters, um, loads of people died in the sewage and the poor weather, the poor water. The ships were overcrowded. I forget how many people died because I didn't write it down because I've been drinking. And. Um, It was a horrific disaster, but no one knows anything about it. But it gave us um, sewage dumpers. They'd actually take sewage out of the Thames and dump it in boats out into the North Sea. It also gave us the red and green lights on the side of boats so that we know which side is starboard and which side is port. All the Titanic gave us was air. um, They changed the rules on how you use the radio. And um, airplanes that look for icebergs, it's it's not that big a deal. Um, I don't understand why we keep going on and on about it.
1: What about the law that said you had to have a space in every lifeboat for everybody? Well, yeah, that
9: was that as well.
1: Every lifeboat. I'm just saying, it it may be a little bit of a development in terms of saving lives at sea, not to mention categorical use of the SOS signal as well, which has done a few people a favour. It
9: it did, but with the wireless thing that I find really fascinating is that there was, um, because the the wirelesses were controlled by companies. Telefunken was the German company and I believe it was the Frankfurt I might this may be a conspiracy theory but the Frankfurt communicated with them saying yes what do you need and um, Phillips told him to sod off because he was with a different company and wasn't interested in the, this German ship that could have saved them, and they were a lot closer. If I remember correctly.
1: That's a conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, know, it was a good theory. He screamed it. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised you jumped on it because it was a pro <laughs> German ship, conspiracy yeah. theory. Uh, but as really the only conspiracy to talk about in this case, Chris, is Charlie's, which is that there was enough room on that bloody door for Leonardo DiCaprio to.
9: Absolutely, I had a meme which I can't share on this, unfortunately. That says Titanic: rich girl convinces poor man to freeze to death for her.
1: <laughs> yeah. so oh, should have I been a saying, film. You're a hypocrite because had Kate Winslet said to you, "Oh, Chris, no, I'm sorry, you'll have to stay there. There's not enough room," He would have gone, "Okay, Kate, I don't want to freeze <laughs> to death for you."
9: Well, maybe not Kate, but you know, if Alina asked, yeah, don't yeah, move. Okay. Um,
5: also, he'd have only been in a mankini. He'd have died half an hour before that. There was no protection from the elements. i would have frozen before i got in the water
1: are you done with your drunken rant about titanic yeah sadly i'm not drunk enough but yeah yeah that'll do excellent holmes are you convinced
5: I'm, i'm i'm sort of the difficult one with this week is i have a i have a rough idea of what's coming because people have been sharing their topics this week and i think it's up against some stiff competition i think it's quite a a good... I mean, I'm not that familiar with it. I've seen the film. I've not seen... I've seen one of the films. I've not seen, you know, what is it, A Night to Remember? I've definitely not seen the one that was done 29 Days After It Sank, which obviously I feel I'm missing out on that. It's obviously got some brilliant special effects, I should imagine. Um, and I think the issue that I have with Titan, it's become a thing which sort of takes precedent over deaths, the deaths are sort of swept away, everyone's just sort of keen and interested in it really, which I have a bit of an issue with it and there is the conspiracy theories, it wasn't at one point, didn't someone say there was something like part of you know, some of the remains that were found in Tutankhamun's uh, yeah that the, they were being transported across, across the US with display, that's probably not true is it? Or, I don't oh, know no, if Tutankhamun not. or another.
1: They didn't find him until the 20s yeah
9: yeah, There well, ele- was
5: There's an elephant on board as well, apparently, and
9: all kinds of nonsense. Or well, she was sunk by a U-boat as well. I've heard that one too.
5: So it is... Uh, because I know what's coming, I, I don't know. I don't feel that strongly about it. I, it is slightly overdone. It's nowhere near as overdone as some of the others. And I think when we look at some of the others, they've been, you know, overdone in a way that perhaps distorts history, which I don't think the Titanic is, you know, to but, a certain because-
9: degree. But considering it was two and a half hours of history, literally two and a half hours, she hit the thing at what um, 20 to 12 and she'd sunk by half past two. So uh, it's not the amount of footage and books dedicated to just two and a half hours of one ship sinking. When there are so many greater ship sinkings in history, I just
1: uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe it's because the captain looks like birds. I up. love that you're like there's just better instances <laughs> of mass death on the water than this one of people drowning. I can find so many more interesting stories of people dying at sea than this one that I enjoy people, It's a little bit disturbing. I'm just going to lay that out.
9: If you work with if you go into my workplace and say what is the greatest shipwreck ever found. Uh, the only person, someone will answer the Horse, But if you ask someone else, they'll say Titanic, you know, and not me. If you don't ask me, you'll get Titanic.
1: Right. Let's go to let's go to Kate next, because I reckon Kate has got a really good one. i have like I've I looked several days ago at the list, um, and I'm fortunate enough that I know what Charlie's doing as well, even though she won't tell the rest of you. But uh I'm guessing and I've forgotten them all again now, which is good for me because it means there's no There's no ulterior motive. So, Kate. Okay,
8: so I have to thank Kit for this one. Um, I nearly really fucked up with my choice. Um, Despite Kit already having mentioned this, I then went off on a tangent because I forgot because, uh, I don't know, I have brain fog. Um, So, yeah, thanks, Kit. (laughs) So, um, say just two words, murderer and Whitechapel, and everyone knows who you're talking about. (laughs)
1: They do indeed.
8: Who hasn't heard of the infamous Ripper? Just in case there is someone listening who hasn't, where have you been? The East End of London, 1888, an unidentified serial killer was terrorising the streets. His victims were female prostitutes. He cut their throats and mutilated their bodies. His attacks became increasingly frenzied and brutal until suddenly they stopped. During the investigation, Scotland Yard received a letter signed Jack the Ripper, which gave him his name. Another, signed from hell, gave at least two of numerous adaptations theirs. Jack the Ripper has been reincarnated thousands of times. He's been making appearances throughout the science fiction and horror genres since the time of the murders. The Curse Upon Mitre Square was published before he'd even finished his killing spree. The list of books, both fiction, non-fiction and the ones that walk a grey line somewhere between is almost endless, certainly many thousands, and they continue to be published. Surely by now we've said everything there is to say on the subject. There have been books published in every language and country in Europe and many beyond. Autobiographies, diaries, books claiming to solve the mystery, books telling the police's side of the story and books telling Jack's, though noticeably few tell the story of the victims. Jack the Ripper has been the subject and inspiration behind many comics and graphic novels. Featured by both Marvel and DC, he appeared in Wonder Woman, Judge Dredd, Green Lantern, and Batman. A story in DC's Justice League series cast the serial killer as an orangutan. Many of the books written have been made into films. The Lodger, published in 1911, has been made into five separate films, The first in 1926 directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring Ivan Novello who appeared again in the 1932 version. The most recent interpretation of this particular book in 2009 starred Simon Baker and Alfred Molina. The same book was also the inspiration for several tv shows and radio episodes as well as an opera. Now if that's not kicking the arse out of a subject I don't know what is. There are hundreds of films and tv series about Jack the Ripper. In addition his story has also been fused many times with other famous characters, such as Sherlock Holmes, Jekyll and Hyde, Doctor Who, and even Batman, for new takes on an old story. Stephen Knight's conspiracy theory, discussed in the 1976 book Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution, formed the inspiration for the graphic novel From Hell, and later the film of the same name, which saw Johnny Depp portray a very Sherlock-esque Abilene, backed up by an all-star cast including Robbie Coltrane, Ian Holm, and Jason Fleming. Other actors who have appeared in Ripper-inspired films include Boris Karloff, Christopher Plummer, Michael Caine, Faye Dunaway, Jackie Chan, Peter O'Toole, Frank Finlay, twice, Jane Horrocks, Owen Wilson, Dolph Lundgren, David Hasselhoff, Patsy Kensit. the list goes on, I'll spare you. On the smaller screen, 1973's Jack the Ripper, the more recent Ripper Street and Whitechapel are just three of many series directly based on or inspired by the events of 1888. There are countless others which feature some incarnation of, or nod to, the Ripper. Goodnight Sweetheart seems, sees time-travelling protagonist Gary end up in 1888 by mistake. He's accused of being the Ripper, who then follows him back to the present day, well, 1999, to be run over by a bus, hence the sudden cessation of killings. The serial killer also featured in, among others, episodes of Star Trek, The Simran Strip, Get Smart, Babylon 5, Grim, Sleepy Hollow, and Time After Time, inspired by a book of the same name, which sees HG Wells chasing a time traveling ripper to New York in 2017. Then there are the endless documentaries. Several manga artists have depicted the serial killer, as have works of opera, theater, and at least two musicals. Jack the Ripper has also been appearing in video games since 1987. This list is absurdly long, platform games, hidden object games, dungeon crawls, shoot marks, role plays. He's in them all, from Master of Darkness to Assassin's Creed. He's internationally recognised as an evil character, and the fascination surrounding him shows no sign of abating. A minor league baseball team in London, Ontario, announced in 2011 that they were renaming themselves the London Rippers. The logo featured their mascot, Jack Diamond, wearing a top hat and black cape reminiscent of the appearance of Jack the Ripper. Needless to say, their choice drew widespread criticism. The association of the Ripper with death and sex has appealed to many, especially heavy metal and rock musicians, who've incorporated Jack and his murders into their work. A French alternative rock band actually called themselves Jack the Ripper. Screaming Lord Such's song, Jack the Ripper, was covered by at least 12 others, including The White Stripes. Other artists who've also released songs titled Jack the Ripper include Motorhead, Macabre, LL Cool J, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Morrissey of the Smiths fame, whose version was covered by AFI and My Chemical Romance. There are more songs inspired by the murders, from the obvious The Ripper by Judas Priest, Down on Halls by Benediction, through Bob Dylan's Tombstone Blues and Blood Red Sandman by Lordy, to the more obtuse references in songs like Unsolved Mysteries by Animal Collective. Jack the Ripper has more than one society, of which you may become a member, should you wish. There is a bi-monthly magazine in publication for over 26 years now. He has a museum with a souvenir and memorabilia shop and an army of people worldwide, many of whom call themselves ripperologists. Some curious about a 130-year-old mystery, others seriously claiming to investigate or have solved, usually beyond doubt, the case of Jack the Ripper. The infamous Jack the Ripper really is everywhere. His moniker has been awarded to numerous other murderers, like members of some gruesome club. Joel the Ripper, the Blackout Ripper, Buffalo's Ripper, the Craigslist, the Yorkshire, the French, there's an Italian one, Bavarian, Ipsilanti, Hollywood, Rostov, Athens, Dallas, Atlanta, everywhere's got its own Ripper. If you go anywhere near Whitechapel, you're bombarded by offers of guided tours of the murder sites. Guided tours of the murder sites. Shouldn't this be considered sick? Maybe it's like the question, when does grave robbing become archaeology? When do serial killers become celebrities? He's been reinvented as evil, maligned, misunderstood, immortal, educated, illiterate, a butcher, a surgeon, a freemason, royal, Jewish, supernatural, a woman, a time traveller, and the Loch Ness Monster in disguise. 133 years later, we are still intrigued by the macabre, and the hype around the Ripper is not slowing down. It's been glorified and retold so many times that we seem to have developed an immunity to the horror of the events of 1888. It has been so tremendously overdone that people have become desensitised to the horrific murders of at least five underprivileged, unfortunate, innocent women.
1: Thank you. Well done. You were getting getting a round of applause from Zach, like midway through that, because... um, as someone who's done Ripper Tours, I know, Lockie, you have as well. I just, have you ever, Lockie, just stood on the arse end of East London somewhere on a spot where nothing is left because it was all bulldozed, looking at a 60s tower block and just thinking, this is shit, this is not interesting.
2: Kind of. When the when the, um, the the um car park was still there on the spot where Dorset Street had, had yeah. been and it was just like, and that is a car park that is where one of the yeah, there's, there's a book about Dorset Street. It's called The Worst Street in London. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: but um, the best thing is when the Americans go, oh, I want to do a Jack the Ripper tour and then give you shit for walking them around a really horrible part of London. And you're like, it, nothing's changed, really. I mean, there's slightly less people crammed in here now, but it's still a dump.
2: So what I'll say is, it actually in the last few years it it has changed quite a bit in the in the time that I've been sort of working in the East End, and actually the focus has as well. Like you know, the, the the pub that used to be called Jack the Ripper. That had its name changed through kind of public noise a few, yeah, you know, quite a long time ago actually. It's now it's now the ten bells. Um there was that street art that went up of a of a of a ripper-esque kind of figure on, on a building and they uh that lasted about 10 minutes before people went, oh get that fucking shit down. You know, um, so and actually, kind of, there, there has been a change of focus yeah. now. You won't find a serious historian in the area who thinks that Jack the Ripper is the most interesting thing around there. You've got such a cosmopolitan melting pot of all sorts of different cultures around there. People kind of nowadays do talk about that a little bit more. There's still the Ripper tours. I, I know the Yeoman Warders of the Tower still are, are pretty famous and do their ones and, and lay it on thick. And I think that's that's for the tourists who really, really want it. But if you do want something a bit more, it is it is available now.
1: It is indeed. Uh Zach, you go first this time. How do you feel about this? Almost like the way Kate explains it as well, almost, and it is changing, I know, but it is still a morbid fascination slash celebration in some cases of a fucking serial killer.
14: Absolutely. I've had to teach this, which is why this one particularly resonates with me. So year eight so for our friends out in america that's 13 years old and you're trying to impress upon these kids that this guy has murdered women um and and the you you it's typical for kind of early teens kids you get a real divide in the room between the the boys who are fascinated by all the gore and the girls who are going what the actual fuck Mm. um so I, I really liked where you were going with this. Um, I thought that you had kind of covered that, how it's kind of embedded in popular culture really well. Um, and I completely hear you on how people just have this really kind of sick fascination with it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was completely with you with that. I wondered, I would have liked to just kind of a little bit more from you. And I, this is kind of my question about the damage that's done by going over the historical element, because I'm with you completely on the insidiousness of where people go with this but from the historical side of things what are your yeah. thoughts on that
8: uh, there is no history left into jack the ripper i don't think we don't see the history it doesn't exist anymore it's been so kind of just just rubbed out by the the kind of pop culture if you even when you just put it into google you don't get historical figure or historical serial killer you get fictional character and that's what he is now it's a it's a fiction it's a story it's not the amount of people who I think would not realise that it was real, it really happened, I think would be shocking.
1: Also as well, had it never happened, then that Johnny Depp film wouldn't exist and the world would be a better place. Just Yeah, say. but I, I do
8: love love Johnny Depp
1: a lot. I do, but I hate him for that film.
13: <laughs> the uh, graphic novel is incredible. Oh, yeah? The is a travesty.
1: Holmes? Yeah, I mean, I,
5: I agree with. I mean, what what Zach said and the point Kate made. In fact, I've made that point on these before when he's popped up in other things. He's so embedded in pop culture, he's almost like a figure of fun. Which I think, I mean, it would be it would be massively sh- shouted down if Fred West suddenly appeared in the next episode of the, the next Justice League film dressed as an orangutan. So why yeah, is, why is that acceptable yet? You know, the Jack the Ripper thing is
1: well people go nuts about gavin and stacy don't they because there is a joke in there that she's stacy west and he's gavin shipman and that everyone's family name is a serial killer and people went nuts
5: i mean it is odd i mean there's also a lot a lot of the the i'm not i've not read that much but a lot of the stuff on it is quite lazy as in all the victims weren't sex workers as i understand it but they're all either said that they were or betrayed that they are and i think ultimately <laughs> nobody knows who, who it was anyway all this, there is a bollocks yeah you know?
8: no yeah it's, nobody knows who it was and um it's there's so much being written about it and for so long i mean even before he'd finished there were there were stories being written about it even before he'd stopped killing so you you lose you completely lose the history because you get all these people coming up with fictional stories based on and you it's very hard to kind of figure out which bits which are the threads of truth in there
5: i think the only the only things i would say in its favor i mean I've, Full cards on the table, I have been on a a Ripper tour. Um, I was made to go on by an American in an old job, so it wasn't free choice. But I think there is something slightly evocative if you're drinking in the Ten Bells, especially in winter and it's a bit cold and a bit misty and you come out and you've got that church next to it and you've got those really lovely old, what are they, 17th century houses behind the Ten Bells? That is quite atmospheric. And I think through some of the stuff I've read, ignoring the Ripper stuff, it does give you a bit of an insight as to what life was like for those people to a certain degree.
8: Yeah, but I think there's um, other... People in
5: general, not, the, not the, the victims.
8: I think there's other more reliable sources of information as to what life was like. But yeah, I mean, it really brought to the fore- forefront the kind of the living conditions in, in the East End at that time. Um, but I think we lose the history in this almost sort of supernatural... He was killing in, correct me if I'm wrong, did he start killing in August... So it wasn't even winter time, and everybody thinks of this misty, dark, damp. And it was August, which
1: admittedly, it might not have been sunny, but it wasn't. I mean, it
5: could damp- have been like this August. Admittedly, you've not been here to see it. Well, but-
1: that's the theory about why they were sleeping outside, isn't it?
0: Because it if was really to get hold
1: of Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I guess what we're saying is up yours jack the ripper which i'm thoroughly on board with right what i'm not on board with is the fact that i have nothing to drink so we will be back in probably 30 seconds and we are back <laughs> we've not been having any controversial conversations at all in the break honest uh right let's <laughs> let's get this motoring now who should we go to next i'm gonna go to do you know because i have just missed him so much Dorman.
4: oh thanks <laughs> We haven't done one of these since um, the Euros final, actually, have we? No. we haven't been smug in ages.
1: Did you, did you go it, to the Euros? No,
4: no, we were busy losing to Luxembourg.
1: That's it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, you, sh- you should know now that all of our Patreon money went to a referee in Portugal this
4: <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. Go for it.
1: Most okay. overdone bit of history ever.
4: Right. Um, this is going to be short. Uh, for two reasons one i forgot we were recording tonight and two this is supposed to be things that are overdone so we all know about this let's keep it nice and quick i'm doing europe today european history all things european we know it's important made a union and then people left the union and now weatherspoons has no beer but what i want to argue tonight is that we have European history, broadly speaking, typically has the most insular, self-centered attitude to history of any continent, apart from maybe our friends across the Atlantic, but we'll leave them aside for now. And as a result, as a continent, we are missing out on so, so much because of our hyper-focus on our own. Almost every subject that has come and will be done tonight comes out of Europe, I think is fair to say. Uh, more specifically the British Isles but most of them are European in some capacity and it's going to be excellently argued by uh, the rest of you that they are overdone so surely the source that being European history itself is overdone QED I also appreciate there's a certain irony in me saying this because outside of Europe, Europe history probably isn't overcovered. I haven't experienced the education system in Asia or Africa or South America or North America or Oceania but chances are it probably features a little bit maybe not as much still over over covered though but these kind of nuances have no place in the pub and i think that as much as i'm keeping it brief this is a very serious issue and the typical in heavy quotation marks worldview of so many events is eurocentric and it's only very recently that we're taking the time and the effort to even start considering the other perspective things like the perspectives of the natives they conquer The religions that we subverted the knowledge that we repurposed and claimed as our own this sort of thing like we know how many people the black death killed in europe but the black death originated in asia what was the damage done over there that's not exactly something that would be off the top of the head of most people if you look at something very popular like world war ii most people have a vague idea of the timeline in europe we might know a little bit about the pacific Theater. But the fact that places like India and Burma and China are considered niche is quite concerning. The age of revolution in Europe, one could argue, ends with the downfall of Napoleon. In South America, it's only just kicking off. But yet again, we choose not to study that because it's, it doesn't fit the mold. The Titanic is only well known because it's European and Jack the Ripper can fuck off. Um, I'm not arguing that European history should not be studied. I don't think anyone would be stupid enough to do that. But I do think that our near constant focus on it has been extraordinarily damaging to our understanding of history more broadly. And as such, we we as historians need to focus on getting our heads out of our small continent and begin examining things elsewhere from their perspective. And that's it. Short and sweet.
1: Uh, and I think a point really well made and not at all because you couldn't be asked to do any prep no I, it really is true it is uh, kit you flashed up a thing in the comments about education in japan they don't give a crap about european history do they
7: no so what they do in japan is they they basically teach it in sequence and so by the time the europeans arrive in in earnest i mean they briefly arrive um, obviously in the uh, 16th and 17th centuries and then they get kicked out during the Tokugawa um, yeah. Uh, yeah. shogunate and just get rid of them all. And then they pop up again sort of towards the end with, uh, with Commodore Perry and, uh, and, of course, the Second World War. And because that's taught at the end, the teachers are already running out of time. And so it's sort of more or less skimmed over. So they just don't get that kind of focus.
4: Yeah. And I mean, but the problem is when we examine Japanese history, we're not going to look at that at all because we're going to focus on the european bits and also the samurai because we have a weird fetishization of them. <laughs> but all the other stuff will be ignored.
1: Holmes, as a first world one first world war historian, do you know where the first british shots were fired of the first world war?
5: Well, I would I'm going to say Mons, but that's probably a trick question. Isn't it probably Africa or something like that?
1: East Af- I think east west africa, sorry, Togo land. Of- Togo 4th of August. Mm. Yeah just as a little aside. Uh, and no, we don't pay nearly, I don't think we pay nearly enough attention to what goes on outside of Europe. Do we, Holmes? No, I don't think so. No,
5: and actually, I think it's even probably more narrow narrower than that. It's probably Western Europe. In that, you know, we don't, we know very little about Eastern Europe until, you know, the Soviet, the Russian Revolution, first of War, Soviet takeover sort of thing. Speak um,
1: for yourself, I'm an expert on pig exports. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: And at the same point, I mean, there could there could have been the, an equivalent of the Great War in South America, and I could be utterly clueless about it. You know, mm, I don't know whether it happened or not. I don't know any any conflicts that happened in South America apart from that World we'll Cup one between Honduras and El Salvador in 1967. And that's only because, You know, at one point someone said it was related to football. I don't know if it was, but you know. But well, the- well, you have both the uh, Simon Bolivar
7: in it's Simon Bolivar in the north. You have. Uh, marine in the, in the south uh, and um, you've also got the war of the pacific uh, between that's the reason bolivia doesn't have a coastline is they lost a war with chile so you know the, there are huge seismic things that have happened in south america that we just ignore you're right
4: and the war of the triple alliance as well if you want to get really niche but
7: <laughs> again this is just completely
1: what weird. i loved about going to south america though is that they literally couldn't give a fuck that europe exists Like travel, travelled around Peru, and they were like, "Oh yeah, it's miles away. Stuff happened. We don't know."
5: I suppose. I suppose the only thing against Dorman's argument is that (laughs) there's so many bits that we've all illustrated that we don't know even about even about Europe, and it's such a vast area. It's hard to say that it's been overdone. Certain aspects have been, but as a whole, I wouldn't say that the whole of Europe has been overdone. Had I said
4: Western Europe, would I
5: automatically win? (laughs) possibly but i would have had to confer with zach and i haven't done that yet i
1: will just say that i once offered my chilean bar back a saturday night off if he could tell me the years that's the span of the first world war and he said there's been a war so (laughs) just in their defense it, it might there might be swings and roundabouts it might be the same the other way zach what do you think
14: yeah i'm with you on this one i so i have two questions for Dorman. i thought this was very clever because I could kind of guess where you were going about, you know, all of these are going to be Western European. um, And so therefore, you know, I I think it works. Um, I like it, but I have two questions. One is this um, thing about whether this is a Northwestern hemisphere problem, as opposed to a European problem, because once American history in the form of the United States kicks off, then, the, the story that we feed our students at school becomes kind of tied up as well with what the Americans are doing. Um, and the other thing which I, I think you touched upon and kind of undermined your argument ever so slightly about was skewed perspectives. So for us as people in Western Europe, sure, we learn about Western European history in our schools. We cover it at university because the, our students are kind of fed by that system. But as Kit suggested, you go out to Japan, it's a different educational system. And so I would speculate, but my guess would be that you would find much better coverage in other universities. And actually, it's about exposure. And we just haven't had that exposure because of culturally, our focus is on our own inverted commas history.
4: Mm-hmm.
14: Agreed. But
4: I, I do appreciate the fact that you have treated this like a cryptic crossword clue that you have solved, Zach. I like that. Analysis. <laughs> um so in answer to your 1st or going to go to your second question because I remember it. Um, I completely agree with the idea of skewed perspectives, but why is it that we have narrowed our perspective to that extent? Because let's, we're going to be cover, like, I don't mean to spoil any fun here, but someone's going to tackle Columbus tonight. But only recently are people at all considering what life was like before Columbus turned up. You know? And Oh, the the first point you made was um, about it being, um, including America in that. I would disagree because if you ask most of your students what happened in Washington in 1812, or, to be honest, anything from the 1770s until 1861, you're not going to really get that. It's really just the highlights from most of the sort of school systems here, at least in I don't know. I don't know if the UK school system is particularly brilliant with the Trail of Tears and that kind of thing, but it wasn't really covered here. So,
5: this has all got a bit radio for. We need Lockie to hold up his fisting sign. I, know, I don't about-
1: I've ever heard Dorman so sensible and grown up. I'm on it's nerve. been a while.
4: It's been a while. And in yeah, fairness, I haven't done a gig in ages. So, I've got a lot of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> completely had your sense of humor drained out of you. Let's just go somewhere completely nonsensical then. Go on, Lockie, with your fisting sign. Which Hello. you know come across really well on radio. <laughs> Your yeah. fisting sign. I'm
2: doing my thing, am I? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so I'm in Lane. Uh, most overdone thing to my mind is First World War Doom and Gloom. Um, and you know exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. It's the old everyone died. Uh, And if they didn't, they were obviously cowards. So we hauled them out and put them in front of the kangaroo court and shot them anyway. Um, And when they're not just dying, when they're waiting to die, they're just sat in a trench, not moving, not doing anything. Uh, And nobody actually disliked their enemy at all. You know, given a chance with, you know, um, they'd be out kicking a football in no man's land. They like to do that. Uh, Every chance they got. Yes, yeah, officers were all stupid. They just sat in their chateaus miles behind the line, no awareness of the average soldier, just waiting for the next opportunity to do the drinks cabinet, six inches closer to Berlin, all that sort of jazz. And and a lot of it kind of has its has its kind of very popular um, image from like the Blackadder cliche, you know that that 1989 sitcom, which forms such a big part of the historiography. Uh, one of the guys at the rugby club. Uh, a few a few days ago, actually said to me, "Oh, that, that that's like it's all real, isn't it?" I was like, "No, <laughs> not really." I mean, do you actually look at the, you know the the second and third seasons of Blackadder and think, "Oh, yes, this is a gritty portrayal of the Prince Regent," you know, "Oh, this is what a what a what a truthful telling of Elizabethan England." Oh, fuck off! <laughs> like, <laughs> no, so it's it's a sitcom, so piss off. But but okay, so that's nineteen eighty nine. It's okay because we've moved on loads in that. In the time since then, haven't we? Uh Well, actually, (laughs) yeah, no, I know. So, I'm going to come to that because, you know, ironically, I don't think we're in a golden age of history writing about the First World War, but does it make it into the public eye? And we're going to play this with a game. So, microphones on, you bastards. We are going to play a game um, with two books, okay? One, uh, Little Heart's History of the First World War, first published in 1930. Oh, no, okay, I'm little heart,
1: going with notorious
2: this. basher of the generals, and who shaped the histori- historiography for years. Everyone was shit. Everyone died. All that sort of stuff. And <laughs> a modern book produced this year, which I'm not going to tell you the the name of the author or anything like that. today, but <laughs> it's a 2021 <laughs> publication. All right, and and no, and it builds itself listen to this this is how it builds itself in the annals of this is from the Dusco. this is from the inside cover in the annals of military history the, the western front stands as an enduring symbol of the folly and futility of war however this book by this guy uh, reveals that the story is not as so many assume one of pointlessness and stupidity rather it is an epic triumph against the odds brilliant okay so we're moving things on really really well Apparently, what I'm going to do is read a couple of quotes and you're going to have to guess which book, which book this comes from. So we'll go with this one first all right as 1916 came to its inglorious end bathed in blood conditions at the front were deteriorating rapidly those who were there had to operate in a ghastly frozen wilderness that seemed to suck the life out of them trees and vegetation stripped from the land or shattered into pieces rotting bodies in various states of decomposition their limbs stiffened into extreme angles and all amid a landscape of barbed wire and corrugated iron A hell walled in by sandbags. Right. Do we reckon that's 1930 or 2021? Um, 2021.
3: 21.
2: 21. 21. 21. It's 100% 2021. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's do... Next one, next one, next one. Um... At that moment, the Germans were on the verge of breaking the line, having taken the village of Gelleveldt and causing Haig to mount his horse and ride towards the line, convinced that there was nothing else to do but die with his men where they stood.
12: Little hard, 21. 21.
2: 21. 21. Some say 30, some say 21. It's 2021. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see, let's do this one. Uh, Nearly two months of bitter fighting followed, during which the British made little progress at much cost, and the infantry of both sides served as compressed cannon fodder for artillery consumption. 21.
1: It's
2: 21. 21. 21. 21. That's no, that's 1930. That one, that one. Um, I'll do one more. Go on. Yeah, Uh, I like this one. By then, the Great War had become a byword for slaughter and futility—a meaningless exercise that accomplished nothing but the murder of an entire generation. Twenty-one. And, tw- twenty-one. I'm You're a it's twenty-one. That one. Oh. It, is, it is twenty-one. So that's this is that's the book <laughs> that says that this that the reveals that the story is not, as so many assume, one of pointlessness and stupidity. Best-selling. This is best-selling popular history. We've not really moved the discussion on that far, have we? All right, so let's let's just address the points that I made. You know, everyone died. I mean, what the British army about eleven percent. If they didn't, I'll go and do the shot at dawn numbers, but we're talking tiny proportions uh, of things. You know, we're talking about single battalion casualties on a single day as is. You know, representing the entire. Number of, of men shot at dawn, uh, sitting in a trench waiting to die. No, you're rarely in a, in a front line for more than two days. Does anyone know that? Possibly. Um, no one actually disliked their enemy. Well, I mean, some pretty high profile guys hated their enemy. Siegfried Sassoon, the great the poet that everyone talks about, decrying the futility of all. He's a psychopath. He got a military cross for going out and looking for Germans to beat the death and stab and yeah you know, the rest. So no, don't don't tell me he was a weeping poet. Sat, uh, whatever. Um stupid officers. Oh mate, well how, how does command ever work? We can we can discuss at length with anyone who's got the attention span to do it. And like I said before, ironically we we I think we are in a golden age of first world war history. You know, I think the centenary was massively disappointing, but it did kick off some fantastic literature that doesn't make it into the public eye. You know what do we what do we get in the public eye? We get Danny Boyle's faces in the sand, and they get washed away as the tide comes in. Oh, and we get the other fella with all the shrouds in front of Tietbal or whatever, wherever he's exporting that. Has he ever done any history? No, but he's putting a load of shrouds out, and up. Oh, that captures the mood of the First World War, and it's grim, and it's dull, and it's depressing. Uh, we struggle to get past more Pergo, you know, even kind of you know movies we look to movies for this. we can move things along with with films. nineteen seventeen didn't do that either it didn't help anything from a historical point of view. so to get into that unfamiliar content which could generally genuinely push people to find out more, you would just have these you know gloomy, engaging projects i get I get fed up with engaging projects that don't actually engage anyone with the history um you know it just reinforces cliche after cliche, cliche and it turns people off to what is a genuinely compelling conflict which is which has its you know, big share of tragedy but also courage and genius and dedication to duty and aggression um, which frankly would make Nelson look like a stone teenager so the Great War was anything but dull and its depressing elements are overdone to the point where nobody thinks of any anything else.
1: Uh- Part of me wants to slap you right now, and part of me wants to hug you. <laughs> um, you bastard! Right? Okay. <laughs> Just because of the editing, ah, uh, Holmes, go for it as the World War One judge. Go for it.
5: I, I, it's a it's a strong contender for me. I, I think mainly because some of the other ones we're going to hear about have been overdone, but by and large you know, I'm speaking in general terms here, that, you know, the influence, they're sort of correct, the influence they have on people. What we've got here is, you know, culturally, we don't remember the First World War very well, or it's it's sort of wrong. I had a very bright friend of mine I was in the pub with, and we were talking about it. He wasn't interested in it at all, but he reads quite a lot. And he said, you know, all I know about the First World War is the Somme, and then Passchendaele, and then the armistice. He said, I haven't a clue. Nothing in British culture on the radio or the TV or in newspapers even gave him the slightest hint of how we got from Passchendaele to, you know, winning it on the 11th of November sort of thing. And there is that massive gap. I mean, the, the shell shock thing, again, is lucky is spot on. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, they're all, they, they all had shell shock. No, they didn't. At the National Memorial Arboretum at their shot at dawn display, which I don't have a problem with the display. I think it's quite a useful a useful thing but in the little information plaque it says shell shock was not diagnosed by them well that's clearly untrue we've seen service records where people have have been diagnosed with shell shock and have been sent away to recover so we have these guys getting evacuated with shell shock all the time in the war diaries.
1: so my my thesis study on self-inflicted wounds you would not believe in 1916 as well not even 17 by the time you get to fecking Craig Lockhart and all that shit, in 16, they're pretty damn good at identifying who's not mentally capable of dealing with frontline service. And the amount of them being shifted off either out of the army altogether or into things like labour battalions stunned me. They get it. They get it in 1916.
5: And also when there are TV programmes or articles on things like the Sun and Passchendaele, they're always slightly done out of context really you know so that, that the fact that it was originally a joint campaign in fact it was a joint campaign is really emph- isn't really talked about there isn't a ras as well battle of arras it was a, it was a campaign that was going ahead it was linked with a campaign in italy as well that sort of context is completely missing so if you're just looking at the british performance in isolation of course it looks terrible but you need to have that you need to have that extra context.
1: Zach, have you got anything you want to add on this before I chuck mine in, which is going to be like a 10 second pitch.
14: I I like this. I agree with Holmes. This is a contender. Again, I feel it because I've taught it and what Holmes was saying about how we don't kind of feed them anything apart from some Passchendaele and then Armistice is kind of a reflection of the GCSE curriculum. Even it's not even just, you know, what we do when they're, they're tiny. Um, so I got two questions for Lockie on this, mainly born out of ignorance. You spent a lot of time talking about the book by Professor Unmentionable and, you know, the focus and how it's skewed, uh, naming no names. Um, are there popular histories that get it right? So that's my first question. And my second one is about why are we seduced by this perception if it's demonstrably bullshit, as we can tell from the discussioners in the room? So
2: popular histories that get it right, not really, actually. I mean, the the kind of the groundbreaking text is is Gary Sheffield's Forgotten Victory. That's a bit old now, actually. And there's there's elements to, you know, it's about 30 years old and slightly dated in, in some aspects. Still, still the crucial text. I wouldn't. I, mean, I think it's been 99p on kindle over the last 24 hours so uh, now's the time worth,
1: and... gary i love you but it's not popular <laughs> history
2: no it's not actually it's, it's not popular history is it it's still academic history for and... gary
1: it's popular history that for his work it's at that end of the scale but yeah it's, i think that, I, it's I would not as... put that in my mum's hands and go knock it's, yourself out
2: it's as chilled out as the man can write isn't it and yeah. and that's and it's good and and largely correct but in terms of kind of overarching volumes that um, address these points no you you, you're looking at very kind of scholarly stuff um and and that's kind of will will feed into the next point i guess and, and the next question because um we haven't had a popular either movie or or, or big selling history, which genuinely looks to take apart the, the, the myths, even like um, Gordon Corrigan's um, book, uh, Mudblood and Poppycock, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's all right. I mean, it, it, it just addresses a few of these myths and bangs them out a bit. Um, and if you, if you read that, it can genuinely change your mind if you don't know anything else about the about the First World War. It isn't written in the most scholarly manner either. It's it's accessible, and broadly speaking, it's largely right uh, as well. So that would be the kind of myth-challenger book I'd, I'd say for the for the layman.
5: Lockie slagged off a few uh, art projects and that type of thing, and I think. You know, some of them are down the to person of taste. You don't like the art stuff like that. But I think, you know, we need to be slightly wary about being sniffy about absolutely everything, because a lot of times I see, especially on social media, I see some people who used to be quite helpful and now pretty much everything's shit, you know, unless I'm involved in it. And uh, I think there's a danger if we're too sniffy or slightly, even slightly elitist. It'll put people off. And, you know, it's we start- all... Put- we all came from a point where we knew nothing about the First World War. We probably, in our early days, believed the myths a little bit as well. But I think it's, if you want to entice people in, I think it's trying to be a bit more constructive about it.
2: But but entice them into what? I mean, that, that's my point. How many kind of awareness-raising projects and engagement kind of actions can we, can we go into without actually thinking, right, okay, now let's do some proper, accurate history. You know, let's not just... I don't know stick some random uniforms on some guys and and have them okay, running so around in a Kate's or making like a
1: that. point Kate make your point because it's a good one um is it
8: overdone or is it just very badly done I know next to nothing about the subject and is that a sign it's overdone I don't think so I think it's a sign it's really poorly done
2: That's That's why I'm I'm saying it's the gloom element. I'm not saying the First World War is overdone.
1: My pitch is World War I poetry. Fuck it. All of it. Because this feeds into everything Lockie's been saying. We get it hammered into our skulls from Year 9 onwards, done to death. It makes everyone hate the First World War because you get so sick of the sight of Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon. It's a few guys giving an artistic portrayal, not even a factual portrayal of their experience. And yet it's come to encompass the first world war for nigh on an entire nation. And it can fuck off. That's my pitch. That's all of it.
5: I think that's right. I mean, I, with the odd exception, I've always just thought they're just writing about stuff that they're seeing and experiencing. That's I've, it. Okay,
1: but I've got, do you see though that I have no problem with that? no problem with the fact that they wanted to write poems. And I'm not saying I'm not a good judge because I'm just bored by it. I'm not a good judge of what's good poetry and what isn't, but because it gets singled out and overdone above all other sources, all other experiences, it comes to epitomise and give that impression that Lockie Slayton um, and takes it completely out of context. And I'm done with it. Mic drop. I
7: think, I think that's because in England, with, with the exception of a little bit of GCSE, uh, which does talk about Schlieff and Plan and all that kind of stuff, the teaching of World War I has moved from history to English. It's yeah. a humanities kind of teaching. And so you do have this distorted view.
1: Yeah, because um, it's English, this your English literature, GCSE and A level, is the war poetry.
10: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I did it. If, it o- if only there was a contemporary poet who could encapsulate the period as well.
1: <laughs> Are you volunteering, Clive? <laughs>
2: Can I can I can I say one thing in a bid to try and get myself out of a hole?
1: Go on. The
2: I don't think is terrible, and have remi- and recommended I have recommended it to a uh, friend. You know, it's people who are beginners on this. Yes, yeah. by all means, pick this thing up. Make it don't... if it
1: can be the first thing you ever read. for <laughs> The love of God. Don't let it be the last thing as well that you ever. No, read
2: I, I just don't God. think it does what it says on the. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and lucky, you own two copies. <laughs>
2: What? No, I, I gave one to. Oh.
1: You give one to Brindle <laughs> Right, okay. Let's get away from this subject before Lockie and I end up fucking pariahs. Uh, where should we go? Matt, are you going to do one? I can do one. One,
13: and it 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 it, fo- it follows on from Lockie's because it's the sequel. It's the Second World War, it's not World War Two, because there was no First World War. It's the Second World War. Now I'm going to caveat this. I was going to do history in general, because let's face it, those of us who work on this podcast don't really get to do much else. And I've got a lovely stack of novels here that I'd love to read, but we can't get to because we're doing history. But I'm going to do the Second World War, and I'm going to caveat this specifically like Lockheed did by saying it's the perception of the Second World War that basically makes most of the money. So this is not the Holocaust, which technically is something separate, starts way before, becomes intrinsically linked, but isn't. What it is, is this idea of what that conflict was. And it's epitomized by your granddad, Alex, good old Winnie. And this idea that this wonderful sovereign British nation stood alone, and five years later, we marched into Berlin victorious. God save the king. Yeah, it's us, us are bollocks. But if you turn on PMQs on a Wednesday, half the Tory benches are going to basically say kind of that. Yeah, as a Canadian, yeah, we, the only, only armoured, fully equipped division defending Britain after Dunkirk was the first Canadian one, which got here too late to get slaughtered in France like everybody else. But what we have here is this entire industry that feeds this weird idea that through this moment of genius of a man dying from cancer, we have this airplane that in the summer months of 1940 wins everything. And stemming from that is this phoenix from the ashes. The empire is not dead. Its heart has not been ripped out. It can continue and bring freedom to the world except for the worlds that bits of the world that are already pink, because we want to keep those bits. Um, and it's this continual idea of something that does not exist. And some of our, you know, I look around at my bookshelves and I'm surrounded by a lot of those books. You know, we, we have very, very great TV series that actually move away from the history and portray the myth because it's more exciting. You know there's you know we can we can think of things like band of brothers and things which have gone dramatic and played up on things like that what it actually is is it's i hate to use the term but you can say it was kind of a good war there was especially in the west a proper enemy to fight but that's been taken and it's been switched into this weird jingoistic put it like this if the modern perception in britain of what the second world war was could have been weaponized in the ministry of information during the second world war, they would have been wanking themselves silly about how great it was because even they, when they were trying to sell this thing to people couldn't come up with the crap that is spewed around about it today. Yes, we, we do things. We, we do podcasts and we talk to people and say, yes, that was wrong. That was wrong. Kind of like your first world war bits. Don't read this book last because it will is rubbish go at it first but for everyone who's trying to do you know decent work the richard ovaries of the world the, you know the phil bloods you know you've got max good old max and anthony turning out complete and utter bollocks that gets sold by the hundredweight you get idiots like malcolm gladwell writing a 200 page book about the bombing war that sold more copies than anything he's made a fortune on it and there's not a moment in that book that's factual but it portrays this idea and that's what i think is the overdone bit to be fair despite my interest in the subject it would be nice to leave it behind because i get to see a lot more wendy um and yeah she'd like that but the problem is whenever you try to talk about it. and i'm not saying explain to someone like say no you're wrong it was this which to be fair we all do because it's fun and on twitter it's great because it gets your followers um in my case not that many so i'm clearly doing it wrong um at bony abroad hit me up um <laughs> but you know it's 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 just becomes this argument between what it is what it could be and what it will be and what it will be is terrifying because you look at what gets made, what gets produced and it's SS fanboys guys thinking that it's great to wear German uniforms because they look cool. And that leads down a slippery slope to American Muppets walking down a street with tiki torches, chanting Nazi slogans. The idea that has been perpetuated and not helped by how it's taught in school breeds the things that led to the stuff that started in 1933 that's why it's overdone and that's why we should be very careful with what we do and I just like to go and read the book I've got on my shelf about the the commune in Paris in 1843 but I can't because I've got history hack books I need to read for interviews end of rant Yes, oh, we... bony abroad. Hit me
1: up; it's great. <laughs> just before it's all we gold get to the judges for you. I didn't say read it first because it's shit. I said read it first <laughs> because it's okay to start, but then you need to read other stuff to round out your view of the conflict. Just okay. saying that, Holmes, you're a lawyer. Is that enough?
5: Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was thinking what questions I was going to answer. I was going to ask.
1: <laughs> ask away.
5: <laughs> when did it, when did this This sort of interpretation, when did it originate? Because the first of all, you know, the lines led by donkeys, that was the 60s or whatever. When did this this sort of rose-tinted interpretation arise?
13: Personally, for me, 1942, the first of the few, Leslie Howard's movie about R.J. Mitchell. From that moment, yeah, from that, which is, in isolation, great. You've got David Niven playing the cad. You've got Leslie Howard playing the dying hero. It's fantastic. It's utter, utter bollocks. It is from minute one, utter bollocks. But that sets the template for the war movie. And from that, in popular culture, you get, um, what's the reach for the skies? Douglas Barter with no legs playing golf, falling on his ass. You've got the damn busters. You've got all of this stuff, which creates this myth that goes on through the 60s it goes you know you get great movies as well like the hill which showing you know a much different darker side of it doesn't happen but for me with popular cinema and then tv repeating this stuff that we all watched on a saturday afternoon you know where eagles dare magic mp40s that never run out of ammunition that's what it is and it's this 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 thing that we don't tend to teach the history we tend to teach the movies whether we like it or not. And that's the problem.
1: Zach?
5: Sorry, I was going to ask another question, actually. I mean, I think, again, it's it's a powerful argument and it shows just by constantly refocusing on these things. I mean, there's big gaps that I have with the Second World War. You know, I mean, I'm not, it's not really my area, but I read a little bit, but, you know, you've got, you've got sort of dunkirk and then you've got what a bit of north africa a bit in italy d-day but i mean as soon as d-day gets to con I, i've got no idea how we get from there to, to and, you know to the end of it you know it's and, really hard i don't i
13: don't know i literally have no idea and this and this is exactly it it's those horrible germans start it we have to get in a bunch of little boats and row our way across the channel and then miraculously, because there's a little bit of the RAF left, we buy ourselves a little bit of time. And then the next thing that happens is 18 months later in the desert with Monty showing up with, and suddenly there's Alamein. And, and even that you've got the desert Fox with, you know, with, um, oh I can't remember his name. But yeah, you know, it, it, it all becomes this movie thing. And then it's D-Day and then the war ends. You know, the fact that, after Paris come oh, okay D-Day um you know a bridge too far so you've got you know Dickie Attenborough showing us how it's done and then literally it jumps forward to that poor woman being accosted on the streets of London by the American sailor yeah and that's that's kind that's kind of history but it's actually the bits in the middle which are the dark bits and then all through this you know you've got the thing that I've caveated out which we don't tend to like to talk about because
10: Dad's it, arm is it, it, the dark bits. Sorry? <laughs> Dad's arm is the dark bits.
5: Oh, yeah. The yeah. remake certainly was.
1: Oh, certainly. I refuse. I absolutely refuse. And they con you because it's the same theme music. And then you look up and you're like, oh, it's all the wrong people. Would you have to dive for the remote control? <laughs> Zach, anything to say on this?
14: Uh, a lot of it's been covered already. I half, uh, again, I'm guilty of this. I'm complicit in this. I've had to teach this. This is the curriculum. So I'm feeling a lot of these tonight um, and feeling quite guilty in the process.
13: Good. <laughs>
14: <laughs> Thanks for the sympathy. Um, I wonder if this is more of an argument against the politicization of the conflict than it is about doing the conflict.
13: Yes. So I, what I poorly tried to word at the beginning is the, the, the view of it looking back and how that is used um it's we are swamped with this bad history which unfortunately permeates the whole thing and this idea of what it is which is well you know i look over on the shelves now and there's you know people turning out books on the 12th ss by the week because you can get a publishing deal and you know hell i could turn one of those books out in about 10 minutes and there's you know certain publishers would 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 love to have it because it's going to sell a load of copies because that's what people want to read about and that's wrong.
1: Chris and I went to Detling at the weekend and possibly apart from the fact that people were selling like. New Nazi memorabilia, not antique stuff. I mean, the antique stuff creeps me out enough. The new the stuff. The antique
13: stuff's new stuff. as well. That's the thing. But
1: seriously, on one stall was a giant plastic sign that was made to look like granite, with the eagle, the swastika, and the wings and everything, and "man cave" written in gothic script above it. So presumably, you're supposed to buy it and take it home and put it on your wall. What the fuck? Uh,
13: seriously, S- SS fanboys. If you're listening,
2: you can. How many did Chris buy? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> How many did Chris buy? Sorry.
1: You know what? Chris was visibly repulsed. Chris and I accidentally strayed too far up the path that leads to the corner field where they shovel those fucking weirdos um so that they're not really viewable to the public unless they go out of their way to find them. And at one point, we'd just had cheese on toast for lunch, hadn't we? And uh, this this fecking two guys walk past us in their S uniform with like submachine guns or whatever. And I looked at Chris and I just said, this isn't a fucking reenactment I want to be a part of. I don't want to reenact the SS on the streets. Thank you very much. Who are <laughs> these people?
13: But they're the people that help pay for the show.
1: This is true. And
13: that's the thing. While there's money to be made out of these assholes. That's the history that's going to be made yeah you know, what you know you you show chris is on mute so i'm going to keep talking you show those reenactors <laughs> drive driving a truck through a pow march of, of soldiers okay that's the history that's who these people were and that's even before we get to you know the stuff that was happening in the east
1: we got suckered up the path by a baby helicopter from mogadishu didn't we chris Chris is nodding. He's going to do that hand signal in a minute, which is I'm going to fuck off and come back in again because his sound's gone. Yeah, there we go. go. We'll get Chris's thoughts on that in a minute, but let's move on because we have five left to go uh, and we've been banging on for ages as it is. Let's go to, let's do James. What have you got for us tonight?
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
10: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Nothing because he sound's off as well. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, okay, well, I'm gonna start off with funny enough, you actually timed that because I said I was gonna start off with and then you said about my sound. So you timed that well. Um Heather, what if I What's the first thing you think of when I say the year 1066? Oh, um, yeah, the year of the Battle of Hastings. Yeah, the Battle of Hastings. So I'm effectively going to cover the fight for the English crown in 1066. I'm just going to go over a few titles. One newspaper refers to it as the most best known date in history. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Others refer. Book titles include The Birth of a Nation, The Year That Changed Everything gone over every detail of the battle there's countless fiction and non-fiction going over this one particular battle and also the battle the two battles that surrounded it we're taught it from an early age i remember being taught it in primary it's part of our national curriculum and whenever you mention 1066 it seems to be a day everyone knows as the year the norman conquest happened now One moment, please.
1: (laughs) Is it past his bedtime?
13: (laughs) It's bin's night. (laughs)
6: Uh, No, I don't know what that was. (laughs) I'll sort that (laughs) out after. Oh, typical. Um, But yeah, obviously, I came in late with my choice. So this was one. But it is one that means a lot to me as I've studied around this period. I mean... When we think of 1066, the year, it's always about the Battle of Hastings. Yet, what else happened around this time, for example? The Normans themselves were invading Lombardy and Italy and Sicily. The Sejuk Turks from Central Asia was about to threaten the Byzantine Empire, which obviously led to the call for the First Crusade. Over in China, we had uh, Sima Guans, is it? his monumental history of China, known as the comprehensive mirror to aid in government. But 1066 always seems to come back to this Battle of Hastings, how it changed England, how it was a defining moment. Yes, it was a significant moment in history, English history, but the Kingdom of England was formed in 927 by Athelstan. You have the Battle of Bernabar, of Bernabar, I can never pronounce it, which obviously effectively cemented Anglo-Saxon dominance over Britain at the time. The Battle of Hastings, yes, it was a change of leadership, change of people, but England had been suffering that for over a century. Obviously, the Anglo-Saxons, you've got the Danish invasion, the North Sea Empire. Uh, Before that, you have the Danelaw, for example. Less than 100 years later, after the Battle of Hastings, you have the Anarchy. Uh, the 19 years civil war you have then have the rise of the plantagenets and then that's obviously followed by the tudors eventually and hastings as well is also called the last successful foreign invasion on english soil except it kind of wasn't i mean you could argue for the i think 1688 the glorious revolution was technically a foreign invasion i mean the tudors henry Seventh, was technically a foreign invasion Yes, those could have been argued they both had support within England, but at the same time, it's not the last successful foreign invasion. But 1066, it just seems to stick in the public eye. It seems to be the one date everyone knows, especially in England and even in outside Europe. Games, for example, use it as a start date for the medieval period. And although some have recently changed into earlier years, And there are better years to learn about especially over the early medieval period we seem to because of colonialism we seem to have this exaggerated importance of english history and especially as 1066 in particular but really england at the time the early medieval was a nothing it was on the edge of the medieval maps it was hardly known how people had to be persuaded to invade it even and i mean holy roman empire france these were all more important the byzantines at the time so for 1066 it just seems always overdone and focused on especially this norman conquest when really there was a lot more going on in the world and there was a lot more important dates in english history in particular i think that
1: might be one of the better arguments you've constructed um i kind of agree there is other stuff going on the world in 1066 zach what do you make of this
14: yeah I, i'd agree with you this is definitely up there amongst yours james it's definitely better than the video game pitch um so <laughs> well played on that one yeah I'll um, that one there yeah. no I'm, I'm afraid as long as i'm here then i'm not going to let you i'm very sorry um but that's more a reflection of me than it is of you um i wonder if you've shot yourself in the foot with this one slightly though on two counts firstly it's kind of an extension of the of Dorman's pitch in the sense that you know look there's just more interesting stuff out there which i hear but <laughs> Norman appears and gives me the Norman middle Norman
1: activates his camera just to give James the finger and then disappear. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
14: But f- for me, um, I where I think you've shot yourself in the foot is that this ends up being a transformational moment in British history because it facilitates greater integration within a wider European empire that you've talked about yourself, which is the Norman empire. Um, So I I, and you you kind of talked about how, you know, other periods are are hardly known about. Um, But I think because this is such a significant moment, it merits the attention. And although I would say that it's certainly done to death within schools because it's always done at least once, if not twice. And it's something that sticks in the memory. I'm not sure how far it's overdone from a literature perspective or from a kind of pop culture perspective as some of the others uh, have been.
1: Holmes, do you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. It's more that
5: a lot of stuff gets missed out because it is focused, you know. I mean, we had a, we had a Viking king in 1016. How cool is that? But nobody really knows about yeah, that. Yeah, that's
1: really. one thing I think in support of James's argument is I can't really tell you anything else that happened 50 years either side of that battle.
5: Well, in a, in a, when I was growing up in our um, outside toilets, not that I'm that northern, we had a, <laughs> a Kings and Queens of England poster hanging on the back of the door, and but it started at, it started with William the Conqueror, and mm-hmm. I, I used to sit there as a small, younger man doing my business, obviously a lot quicker than now, but I would sit there and think,
1: oh no, that's devastating. I'm we'll that never, know I'll never know what he thought. <laughs> <laughs>
9: <laughs> That's just my phone playing
1: well, up. While we wait for Holmes to come back, Chris, did you have any comments on the crazy SS reenactors? You were trying yeah, to um, think that it was like you were miming it.
9: Yeah, no. The, 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 I said at the time when we were talking to that bookseller about um, what awesome books he had and how we could try and get them for cheaper um, the only person to shove me out of the way was a guy in full SS uniform was like well, what the fuck is wrong with you and I swear oh, to god boy. if we go back next if what, we go more back than one next thing. year yes. I'm, um, I'm going to wear a German admiral's uniform and I'm going to make them salute me <laughs> and if, if they don't I'm going to get you to take their names and we'll discipline them later uh, put them down for disciplinary as a senior officer.
1: Well done, Holmes is back. Holmes, when we lost you, you were sitting on the toilet. Yeah,
5: so I <laughs> just used, used to wonder. I, I just used to. I just used to wonder what happened before. And then the other point that I made that actually the, the Plantagenets are far better than William the Conqueror's lot. Far yeah. more interesting. It's proper Game of Thrones shit with them.
1: Yeah, it really is. Right. Okay. Let's move on to. I'm going
11: to do Heather next. So probably doesn't affect you guys as much as it affects americans but i can definitely say that especially in grade school we had it pounded into our little heads about christopher columbus discovering america we were told he was the best guy like venerated pious heroic explorer he discovered america with his three little ships the nina the pinta and the santa maria and King Ferdinand and Queen Isabel of Spain was the one who gave him the money to do so. There's a national holiday. We have numerous cities named after him. It's the city main capital of the state I'm, I'm living in is Columbus. Even the nation's capital, or yes, the nation's capital has Columbus in his name, a form of it. District of Columbia. So here's the real thing. Columbus was a dick. <laughs> something. boom i can't go any I, well actually i could but that's a lot of swearing and i'm trying not to but he was a complete utter twat so he didn't discover america given that there were already people living here when he landed it was obvious they had discovered america i mean wherever they were living they were the ones who discovered it not columbus he wasn't even the first um european to discover america because there's evidence in north america of vikings and they had had settlements here up until about 1410 so obviously he didn't discover america he never even landed on north america he only hit um some of the caribbean islands central america and south america so what did he really discover again a little confused on that nothing really I mean, everywhere he went was mostly already inhabited with people. So one of the things that I learned was he went on this voyage to try to, try to find a way to India and to also prove the earth was round. We've known the earth was round since third century B.C. It was even proven that it was round in the first century B.C., so I'm going to go with, it's been proved it was around for a very long time. Why people still think it's flat is beyond me. We have enough cats on the planet that they would have knocked everything off by now. So another joy that we used to have to, to learn was that uh, one of his main things was to, um, once he found the indigenous people who were living in America, was to convert them. Now he was more interested in enslaving them. Spain apparently had a belief that it was totally cool to enslave unbaptized people. So the less people he baptized, the more money he made. So when this all begins, true, Columbus did want to find a pathway to India. Okay. Totally cool with that. Um, He went to a few few, uh, kingdoms and was like, hey, got this great idea. And they were like, um, No no thanks. First off, you're using the wrong numbers. It's way, way longer. It takes way more time. And it's, there's much longer of a distance to get from point A to India that you want to take. So first off, your numbers are wrong. Well, he swore his numbers were not wrong. So we're like, yeah, no, we're we're good. The only reason um, the king and queen of Spain said, okay, was because they were worried that they miss, might miss out on something, and another country might actually get more money than them. So they're like, "Fine, we'll uh, we'll give this to you." He was also told that um, with with the uh, trip, that he was he would be uh, appointed the viceroy and governor of any new lands he could find and claim for Spain. He would be given the rank of admiral of the ocean sea. Which, last I checked, the ocean and sea was. Anywho, he could also nominate three people from whom the sovereigns would choose one person for any office in the new lands, and then he would also receive ten percent of the revenues of the new lands in perpetuity. So, on the first journey, because there was not one but four, um, the king and queen promised a lifetime pension to whoever could spot land first. So, this this guy who was the lookout for the uh, the pinta. Spotted land. Notified the captain. The captain verified it. And and told Columbus. Columbus being the asshole he was. Decided. No. No. We're not going to let this poor sailor get a uh, lifetime pension. Totally saw light. Hours before he did. I just didn't say anything about it. So Columbus gets the lifetime pension. Not like he was already not going to be rich anyways from all this. So He gets the pension. The other guy gets screwed. Good job, Columbus. Doing well already. So they go about exploring, meeting the Indians and uh, who he thought were Indians. Obviously, they weren't. So he meets the native inhabitants. And seeing gold jewelry on him was like, hey, that's cool. I want some of that. Where can I get it? Uh, you're not really helping. So we're going to take a bunch of you hostage and make you take us. Okay, now we're getting the gold. Good deal. So they go around subjugating the, the, the natives and being outright dicks to them. One of Columbus's statements in his diary said that he could conquer the whole lot of the Indians with just 50 of his men and govern them whatever way he pleases. They left some people in a fort, some Spaniards, to hold a little garrison, and then went back to Spain. They came back on the second trip and found the fort in ruins, and they were, you know, the Spaniards were like, what the hell happened here? And the Indians were like, "Uh, yeah, your men went on a murderous rampage after women and gold. We burned it. Yeah, they were not best pleased, and the natives, of course, paid for that. So, they, they set up little, little settlements and um, Spain sent people to man them so they could cultivate the land, get rich. Well, Columbus was even a jerk to them. The patient uh, was a bit severe. Uh, at one point, there was a lady who um, suggested that Columbus was of low birth. Now, mind you, she's a Spanish citizen. She was paraded naked through the streets and then had her tongue cut out just for saying that Columbus was of low birth. Oh, yeah. Did I mention that he gave his brother's position of power? Because oh, of course he did. Nepotism for the win. A, uh, a Spaniard was caught stealing corn. OK, well, maybe he was hungry. Well, their answer to that was to cut off his nose and ears and sell him into slavery. Um, why would people want to come to your settlement if they're hungry? then obviously you're not governing very well and your response to that is to maim the man and make him a slave. Okay. Okay. We're, we're, we're doing great. After a while, these little uh, tales of tyranny and atrocity make it back to the King and Queen of Spain. They're not happy. They send a guy out and we're like, Hey, look, investigate Columbus because something's not right. After some investigation, Columbus is taken back to Spain in chains along with his brother and they linger in prison for about six weeks. They get an audience in front of the king and queen. Columbus tells his sob story about how everybody's so unfair to him. And the king gives him back all of his wealth and prestige and goes, Yeah, you know what? We'll even let you know how sorry we are for jailing you and taking away your wealth, even though we gave it back. Here's money, go back but you're not going to be a governor this time. So, I mean, okay, at least there's that. So, in essence, Columbus subjugated the Native population, committed genocide of the Native population, killed, maimed, and just was all-around awful, even to his own people. Why do we have a national holiday to celebrate this man? I would really like to know. He really didn't discover anything. And um, to tell you the caliber of guy that he was, one of his friends was gifted a a Native woman by Columbus. And uh, this guy decided, hey, this is pretty cool. I think I'll brutally rape you repeatedly. So stellar guy, great friends. So in all, he ruined so many lives, both his, his his own people's lives and the Native inhabitants. He ruined a lot of culture that we could know, enjoy, and celebrate. And he celebrated for it. Why? I
1: literally can't wait for Columbus Day because I just have visions of Heather who's getting round of a big round of applause from Charlie who's pretty much disgusted by everything she heard there. Uh, her face, it's, every time you mentioned another brutal rape or a degrading of women, she was like, I'm not, I'm not standing for this. I'm, I'm not here for that shit. No, you? I just I picture <laughs> Heather now on Columbus Day walking around just screaming at people going, stop it, stop celebrating. <laughs> stop yes. drinking. It's not a fun day.
5: Yeah, I mean this is this is slightly difficult for us being Brits because we're not we're not that exposed to Columbus. And I'm conscious that saying that I'm slightly playing into dorman's hands here a little bit as well. So it's he's not that overexposed. So it's difficult for us to get the same level of understanding that Heather's got. I mean, he is um, as you said, I quite like the fact you said you called him a dick and they said I'm not allowed to swear anymore, then immediately called him a twat in the sentence afterwards, <laughs> which which I enjoyed. And you know, That's I think I've said, be-
10: yeah.
5: but I think, as I said before on this, it is slightly ridiculous that he he basically went the wrong way to set when he set out, and then accidentally discovered this place that was, you know, already populated, as you pointed out, and then and then also, as you the other example you gave was that he, he unfairly took the credit for citing land first as well. And I think you know we've all had bosses like this, haven't we, in the past? <laughs> really. Um, he sounds a dreadful person. Uh, the, the, the difficulty I have, I don't know the level of exposure it is for being here, but he certainly, you know, from the case you've given, he, cer- he certainly doesn't seem worthy of, you know, days holiday or anything like that level of exposure. So you've
1: got the District of Columbia. You've got Columbia, South Carolina, Columbus. Like he literally has got crap named. I mean, while you, Zach, you ask questions. I'm going to see if I can find out exactly how much is named after him. I'm going to see if I can get a stat.
14: Yeah, you know, I'm in the same boat as Holmes for obvious reasons that this is perhaps more of a kind of Americanism, inverted commas, than it is uh, trying to avoid playing into Donald's hands, but then it is a kind of Europeanism. Um For me, I wondered if this was perhaps just a little bit more of a completely justified rant on why Columbus is an asshole, rather than why it's overdone so much, but that okay. may be what I've just said about how being brits we we don't have the same exposure can you kind of give us a sense of you know in schools in in popular culture besides the 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 naming of places and um within things like tv documentaries how much is this guy covered and how badly is it covered if you will
11: um i just know that in like grade school and even into high school is drummed into your head columbus discovered america columbus discovered america um he's all important it's like there was no other person even in america he was the lone discoverer of it yeah it was a slight accident but the guy was a genius he was great you know all hail columbus
1: so apparently he named antigua and barbuda columbia after himself it would appear Costa Rica, Dominica, St. Kitts and Nevis, Santa Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Trinidad and Tobago. And then there were others where they didn't stick, where he tried to name them as well, like Concepcion, which is not named that. Obviously, it's Grenada um, and stuff, which he... Yeah, I would try... He renamed Jamaica, Santiago, um, but it got outlasted by, uh, if you really want to know, by... Hamaka or Hamaya meaning land of wood and water which was the original Arawak name and where Jamaica comes from so yeah he went around trying to name everything as well as if he had the right which again makes him a dick I think
11: yeah I wasn't even gonna try that word it no. was in my notes that I was gonna try to say all of that and I was just like I'm gonna butcher these so bad I'm not even gonna try but we have we have cartoons where he he's he discovers America and there's all these happy Indians who are like, hey, buddy! And how great life is and everything. No. <laughs> that cartoon yeah. would not be safe to have ch- have around children at all, ever. If it yeah, was you're really. in Colombia now. Are you getting bladdered
1: by him? Is he everywhere?
7: No, he, he is absolutely nowhere. I have not seen a single thing about Christopher Columbus in Colombia, uh, which is not spelt the same, I should point out. The only thing I've really seen is um, in the Gold Museum, which is astonishing. Everything is referred to as pre-Columbian um, because they make it very clear that this is before the Spanish invasion. Are they they're they not, the,
5: they not welcome to India signs everywhere? No. The,
7: the, <laughs> I, I must have missed them. Um, no, Simon, Simon Bolivar is, is the big guy here. Um, his house, there's lots of statues of him. Um, his sword famously got stolen by the communists and then later returned. He's the, he's the big
5: thing in Colombia. What I don't understand about Columbus is how, because he's obviously a bit rubbish. So when he got to America, how did he know he wasn't in India?
11: Oh, no, he died convinced he found the outmost reaches of India. Like he was convinced nobody could change his mind. I'm sure they tried.
1: Typical bloke. I knew where I was going the whole time. <laughs> because, Isn't that why it was did, called
14: the West Indies initially?
13: If he didn't find it, he didn't get paid. So if he can it was insisting it was that he would get paid.
1: What a knob. Right, let's crack on. We've got three more to do. Uh let's go to let's go to oh look, Clive looks so excited. You want to go next, Clive?
10: Okay, I was just but, drawing Beth, get ready.
1: I could I could take it or leave it. He looks so excited. Go on, knock yourself out.
10: Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes and his companions did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels laid below to prove old England's overthrow. But by God's providence, him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James's sake. If you won't give me one I'll take two the better for me, the worse for you A rope, a rope to hang the Pope, a penneth of cheese to choke him, a pint of beer to wash it down, and a jolly good fire to burn him. Olla boys, olla boys, make the bells ring, olla boys, olla boys, God save the king. Hip hip hooray Remember it? It's impossible to forget it. Our history is laden with plots and treason, some more successful than others, but this one failed attempt to change the regime is not just remembered, but celebrated annually 414 years later. Just search for either Gunpowder Plot or Guy Fawkes, on Amazon, and you will find quite literally hundreds of books on the subject, not to mention the various films, television series and programmes and dramatisations. And it was a plot that failed and was ever doomed to fail. It was never going to work. It was the misconceived conceit of a number of deluded idealists. It's remembered for one reason and one reason alone. The fable of the gunpowder plot is one of the greatest propaganda coups of history and remains so. Let's start with the plot itself. Well, it was never going to work. Not only was it discovered before the Big Bang because of the ineptitude of the plotters, but even if they had succeeded in blowing the king and all the establishment to kingdom come, it wouldn't have worked. What Simon Sharma describes as Britain's wars of religion, started with the Pilgrimage of Grace in 1536 and probably went on until the signing of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. The Pilgrimage of Grace was a popular uprising in reaction to the dissolution of the monasteries and the creation of the Church of England. It lasted only a short while and was brutally suppressed by a brutal and tyrannical king. It was a popular demonstration against a change in the status quo. But by 1605, the status quo had changed. Monasteries had been dissolved for 64 years. The wealth of the monasteries had been plundered and the gentry were rich off the proceeds. By that time, and for centuries afterwards, popular sentiment would always be against further change, particularly reactionary change. But the plotters failed to realise this and were, conti- were and continued with their inept plot, despite the fact that Catholic nobles and gentry on the whole would not have supported their cause. But that didn't matter, because the plot was inept, and it failed. And the story really ought to be a footnote in history. But I suppose that's where it gets a little bit interesting. The plot was a godsend for the king and those who worked for him. He was able to use it to bolster his popularity in the same way that countless tyrants and dictators have used plots against them. In the same way that Jose Mourinho unifies the dressing room by pointing to how UEFA, the FA, referees and the press were all up against them. James started by thrashing out with a round of persecutions. Catholic priests, such as St. Henry Garnet, were rounded up and executed. Most were innocent of any complicity in the plot. Anti-Catholic legislation was brought in, and while many Catholics remained in high office, they did so only because the king could be sure of their unswerving loyalty. One false move, and it was hanging, drawing, and quartering for you, buddy. By January 1606, legislation was passed to commemorate the 5th of November. And that year bonfires were lit and gunpowder exploded for the first time in celebration. And the celebrations continued because they acted as a focal point for Catholic repression and anti papal sentiments. During the Commonwealth years they were celebrated as an, as an event that preserved Parliament, and at this time effigies of prominent papists were began to be burnt. After the Restoration, the celebrations were about the preservation of the king. Although his Catholic brother was also often burnt in effigy, only during Great King James's reign did they take an official back seat, although by this time they were so cemented into the public psyche as an annual ritual that despite a ban on fireworks, the celebrations continued. William and Mary were happy to embrace the festive spirit, particularly as Billy the Shit's birthday was on Four November. The Whigs parted for two days. The celebrations continued, not just in this country, but throughout England's imperial realm. They continue to this day. Throughout our history, the day has been used to reinforce anti- anti-Catholic feeling, particularly among the working class. It became at worst a focal point of sectarianism, particularly at the time of, a, of the great Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic immigration in the mid 19th century. And because we all remember the 5th of November, And who doesn't like a firework display? Historians have written tome after tome on the subject, and now television companies and filmmakers see a sure-fire profit from the tale of a bunch of woeful and deluded adventurers who hatched the type of idea that ought to have gone away with their hangover the next day, and did so ineptly and were always sure to fail, and they did fail, and they died along with many decent and innocent people, also the regime, that they despised could increase the suppression of their faith and those who practised it. Yes, if we're ever to live in an open society where faith and belief are truly free, let's forget whatever that date was in 1605, and certainly let's not spend another moment of academic study or ream of paper on it.
1: Well done, Clive. Round of applause from the entire room. Uh, Zach, you go first.
14: Thanks for this, Clive. I... I... <sighs> I wonder if somebody's missed a trick tonight and should have just done the, done the entire bloody British history curriculum as the most overdone topics in history, because <laughs> pretty much everything that has been said tonight and the interpretations around it are things that are embedded in the bloody curriculum. I, I wonder if you can actually turn this on itself, though, Clive, that the way in which the gunpowder plot is used is why it matters, And perhaps the issue is that what people remember is, hey, Guy Fawkes tried to blow up Parliament. And the important learning point from that sometimes kind of slips away about how it's used for propaganda purposes. So when you say that, you know, it would be better if we forget it. I actually wonder if from a perspective of understanding persecution, it's better to remember it. And we just need to make sure that the right element of that education is there. So the education right
10: the, the the education of the books rarely look at the propaganda they look at the events you know, even people like Antonia Fraser writes about um all you know the daring do of the plotters and all of that stuff even the you know books like hers that are written very much from a Catholic perspective focus very much on the plot and the plotters and the immediate aftermath of it, but don 't look at the historic um use of the propaganda and the fact is that no one would have talked about it at all, apart from a small footnote in some history book, along with dozens of other plots that occurred about that time and for many years afterwards, if it hadn't been just picked up and rammed down everyone's throats. So it's, it's a bit of, um, yeah, it's a difficult one, because if you look at the propaganda, you're looking at the plot. And if you're looking at the pot, you're, uh, you're perpetuating the propaganda.
14: Okay, fair enough.
1: Holmes. Holmes.
10: I I struggle with this a little bit, and I
5: to me it doesn't feel like it's overdone. You know, because you I,
1: like blowing things up. I've seen what you're hmm. like when you find a bullet on the battlefield.
5: Well, there is there is that, but I think a we don't have enough sort of national historical days in this country. Most of our bank holidays, I don't know what they're for. You know, I don't know why they haven't got any names, they don't signify, I'm not even sure what the dates are. So the fact that we've got one thing that we can come together and it's a bit of fun, I think that's all right. I also think oh, having one thing, one day once a year, there are numerous Nazi documentaries that get on the History Channel multiple times a week, so it's not necessarily comparing eggs with eggs, really. And also, I think most people don't know the story. Most for years, I was convinced that, like Guy Fawkes was a lone operator, a lone wolf. He just went in there and he was going to blow up Parliament on his own. You don't know about the planning of it and the involvement of Catesby and all the others and the trips overseas. And if it was overdone, we might have more of an understanding of that. And then,
10: with with respect, the the Nazis probably have a lot more influence on contemporary British society than a couple of. Uh, failed and foiled plotters 400-odd years ago. But, and therefore, it's actually not unrealistic that the Nazis are on television every week. The other thing about the Nazis is there was film about the Nazis which fits well into the um, television schedules. There wasn't much film from the six, 1605 and that era. True, but we do have this, you know, national day
5: where people have a very, very loose understanding of it at best so surely on that basis it can't be overdone
10: there there are there is a hell of i mean there have been numerous television series recently and the fact that we have a day about it does bring it to the public consciousness however distorted that may be
1: poor clive clive saw his hopes of a podium well i just as soon as turned up
10: late i knew it was all done for
1: Right. Okay. we've got two more to do. And by God, I thought this next one was going to get away with it. I thought they dodged a bullet. Beth, you're going to make sure they don't. Right.
12: They they are, you know, yeah. Saving the best till near the end. (laughs) Love you, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) We've saved the two rampantly over competitive women till right at the end. Right. Well, let's get started. And there, I, ju- I will just say there have been some really cracking contributions for uh, Down the Pub this evening. Who knew that so many historians could think history was overrated? Um, and a lot of these topics, some of them have been overrated due to you know their, their power and the holds that they have over the public psyche. Some are overrated due to their presence and overrepresentation in the media. And some are overrated due to their ever-present state in the education system. Zach, and my topic tonight has the dubious honour of falling into all three of these categories. Number one, everyone knows at least one thing about this time period because of the the public being it in the public domain. Number two, every single channel has hosted a TV program, factual or fiction, about this period. In and the number last three,
1: month as well.
12: Yeah, like, <laughs> just yeah. It, It doesn't even need to be in the whole whole time of of history of television. It's literally today. Um, And number three, we were all taught about it at school. And I'm sure myself and many others of you still have nightmares about that time in your life. It is a topic we have very openly bashed here on Down the Pub. In fact, it is probably the most bashed historical time period by us lot and should not escape our ire this evening. It is a period we all hate. And that is why the Tudors is the most overrated historical time period. (laughs) Now, we all know about the Tudors from years and years of brainwashing at school, and we will never be able to scrub it from our brains. Now, arguably one of the most irritating but unforgettable things we will all remember from school is the order of Henry VIII's wives in a handy little ditty for us to forever have in our brains. And I need some participation here. So everyone, please switch on your microphones and say it with me.
14: Do we have to sound enthused as we say this?
12: Absolutely. One, two, three, oh. divorced, ahead of him. What a fascinating, oh. what a fascinating and clever way to reduce the lives of six intelligent, powerful, and charismatic women to how their masochistic, fat bell end of a husband got rid of them. <laughs> And while I'm talking of the arsehole, let's really get to grips with Henry VIII and what a prick he was. Um, Clive did an excellent rendition of why he's such a twat on another one of these down the pubs, which you should all go and listen to. Um, But just to briefly run you through some of the awful shit he did, he booted Catherine of Aragon for a younger model who'd give him a son, thus resulting in the split with Rome and the Reformation, divorced Anna Cleves because she was too ugly when he was no beauty pageant queen himself. He was constantly taking England to war and he wasn't very good at it either. He inherited an absolute fortune, blew it all and then some more, technically dying in debt. He really just was a greedy, selfish brat who shouldn't ever have been king and was only there because his brother died. Henry VIII really is one of the worst people to ever walk this planet. And yet, if you ask someone to name a king of England, he's usually the first one who springs to mind for most of the British public. And doesn't that speak to the level of indoctrination that we had at school? Because there are far more arguably interesting monarchs to study, but we don't fucking know about them because we weren't told about them at school. And this is all without including his nightmare children. Bloody Mary, who basically acted like she was on her period for the whole of her life on ecstasy. Elizabeth, the Virgin Queen. Yeah, right. And the sickly Edward, who was still a child when he died. With a father like theirs disowning his quite legitimate daughters, having an unhealthy obsession with having a son, and then none of them continuing his great dynasty? Surely the recipe for a dysfunctional, self-destructing family who have been given far too much airtime, just like their modern day counterparts, the Kardashians. All of us in this room have had Henry VIII and the Tudors shoved, shoved down our throats while we were at school. When in reality, it isn't even that interesting a topic. Who decided the Tudors were a worthy subject to teach to our future generations? I feel they should have a real experience of Tudor life and be hung, drawn and quartered, maybe. And even when we thought we would escape the Tudors after leaving school, they followed us like a bad smell. The Tudors have followed us into adulthood with the constant and incessant television programs, fact and fiction on every channel you can think of you have historians on documentaries presenting a new way of looking at the Tudors with new information and understanding. How many fucking ways do we need to look at them? And I seriously, seriously, seriously doubt there is anything that we don't know about the Tudors by now that could be summed up in a, I don't know, a nicely worded email maybe to people who actually care. Then you've got countless historical historical fiction pieces of shit that float around and try to pass themselves off as historically accurate when the errors they tout as true are then taken by the wider public as definitely happening. Tudor historical fiction is the fake news of the historical fiction genre. From the Tudors to the other Berlin girl, every other historical film is about the Tudors. And whilst I must admit to having watched more than I care to admit, but let's be honest, have you seen Henry Henry Cavill and Jonathan Rhys-Meyers and the Tudors who wouldn't want to watch that? Aside from that, the whole genre of Tudor historical fiction is awash with historical inaccuracies, bad acting, and just downright awfulness. Also, as a further point, the whole concept of the Tudors is flawed because it's a flawed study of the time period. We're only ever taught about the monarchy, the craziness of what happened at at court, not the normal everyday people of the time period. And whilst that is changing, what with shows like Horrible Histories leading the charge and inspiring kids of all ages to love and get involved in history, there are still massive groups of people who have no appreciation of the wider Tudor period, which, as awful as that period of time is, can actually be quite interesting in part. I'm going to bring it to a close here, as believe me, I could go on and on and on about how awful and overrated the Tudors are. A study of a family who, in modern times, would be on the Jeremy Carl show that have been elevated far past their actual importance. It is a subject that personifies the meaning of the word overrated, and I am done with it. Done with everything to do with the Tudors, and I urge you all to join in my crusade to get this overrated subject off the curriculum to save future generations from such an awful topic.
1: Mic drop. Everyone else could just go home. The <laughs> only issue I have with that. Because It's not six intelligent women; it's five intelligent women and poor Catherine Howard, who was poor just- Catherine <laughs> Howard. Yeah, Bless. Heather's got her hand raised. Please don't ask her who Henry VIII is, because it will just shizzle <laughs> all over her bitch.
11: Who are the tutors? <laughs> Kidding! I know, I know. You, you, yeah, we're good. I probably oh. at least know the tutors. Yeah,
5: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hardly took any notes, which isn't uh comment on best pitch. It's basically because I agree with all of it, you know. I agree with all those arguments are in my head. They're actually quite a tedious lot. They didn't do very much. Henry, Henry VIII was possibly the most interesting, but he was like, a, I've said before, he's like a spoiled man-child going through a midlife crisis. He, Mary burnt a few people, but not as many as people assume. Elizabeth, Elizabeth didn't really do that much at all and was guided by advisors the whole time. And then you've got that, you know... Frail, wimpy little one who didn't last very long. They're almost the dullest royal family in the history of our kingdom, aren't they? I just I don't think understand. there's a
1: few Elizabethan historians, including Estelle Perrinck, that are screaming into their headsets right now about the, her not doing very much. I'm not saying it was nice, but Dorman might have something to say about her not, not achieving anything, uh, given it to Ireland. He also
10: executed thousands of our own. He was as subjects. mean
1: as Mary was.
10: Worse. She lasted so, yeah, longer. She was
1: Mary Queen of Scots as well.
5: But yeah. just, I mean, I mean, I, 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 don't know that much about it. But they, you know, uh, their successors are executed people as well. Yeah, They're, this is norm for the time.
2: Just to be clear, we're not allowed to dig the Hanoverians out. No, there, there was the windows. <laughs> not allowed to dig out, isn't it? The it's Hanoverians the are fair game. I've got okay, my first yeah.
1: appointment in nearly two years at the Royal <laughs> Archives next Tuesday, and if you people fuck it up, you're dead to me.
2: Okay. All right,
1: yeah, they had a very
3: sucks or something. <laughs> but we can fuck with the well, Tudors, who had absolutely, absolutely no claim to, to the throne.
1: No, yeah. and literally no. There's one Tudor document at Windsor Castle when it's only because someone gave it. It's about Elizabeth the first, and someone gave it to Her Majesty Elizabeth the second as a present. I mean,
5: I mean, from a from a, admittedly a position of ignorance, but why are they? Why are they so prominent? Is it because of the religion thing? So obviously Henry broke with Rome, but didn't really change the I don't think
1: it's even of... the religion thing. The Reformation was happening all over Europe. It's the sex thing. Mm-hmm. It's, people are just uh-huh. But
10: But they were also the beginning of modern history. Yeah, they took yeah, over would... from the kind of medieval time, and it was where capitalism came in, various other things like that, the Age of Discovery...
1: The to have been knocking about during the Renaissance, didn't they? So yeah, but surely that, be-
10: that was just a, surely
5: that was just a coincidence of timing rather than any general skills on yeah, there. It,
2: it would it would be the religion thing if we taught the religion thing properly.
5: So actually the arrival of Protestantism with Edward rather than
2: Henry, you know, we're we're still Catholics under Henry, but we're Henry's Catholics as opposed to the Pope's Catholics.
1: Although Wendy, who is Mrs Matt, is lurking in the background, probably wondering if this is ever going to fucking end. (laughs) They didn't even cover the Tudors in Scotland. It's like a little utopia where they didn't exist.
5: (laughs) But also the the religious thing, for, for your normal man in the street, it just meant that you went from one type of boring service to another type of boring service
2: yeah oh except it was what everyone knew to be true about the world and it was the be all and end all and it was it your was it was the first time as your... well wasn't after it lucky but
1: also that the, dis- the dissolution of that, read the bible
10: the dissolution of the monasteries had a profound effect on society the economic yep. basis no more they were the
1: hospitals they were the medical o- care hospitals
10: education poor, everything
12: suddenly in the it's, it's, possession it's, of
3: the crown all the more reason
12: why Henry's a dick.
4: So, what I saying is, the <laughs> yeah. shooters are incredibly important, they're not overdone, and Beth is wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
6: they're massively or, or, oh, yeah. overdone, but
3: they, right they fit in a short uh, TV schedule. So, I was thinking about Anne Boleyn and how much she gets done. She only lived for like 30 odd years, it's nothing. And she was only married to the king for a couple of years. So it's a short space of time. It fits neatly in a programme length.
10: Charlie, Charlie are we Jesus, Christ Christ in lived for, Jesus Christ only lived for 33 years. Look at everything goes on about him. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> There's a whole <laughs> cult around him too. <laughs> hey, on,
2: some we, we like an inescapable on. conclusion that bad history is overdone and good history is underdone?
1: but he's ah, he nodding because she's and, like, and of oh, and course good, we're
13: the arbiters good. of good history yes.
9: <laughs> in, in, in defense it. the oh, yeah. Tudors though in in defense of the Tudors though two words ginger king
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that because I've just yeah. been watching
0: of report. <laughs> to be fair, it,
1: it, it explains so know, much about nobody it. it. That comment. <laughs> Zach anything on the Tudors
14: I have very little to add if if we In an actual pub, I would give you a standing ovation, Beth. That might have been, in my opinion, the best down the pub pitch ever, period. <laughs> um, that was sublime. I don't think I've ever heard you You're swear. You're my so
1: Bridgerton monologue. <laughs>
14: <laughs> the reason that I agree with you so emphatically with this is that I have had conversations with lecturers who have said to me, they are so fucking bored of having students turn up and go oh, I really want to write an essay about Anne Boleyn because she's really not been covered properly in like the historiography. And they are just... I'm a sign saying, cock, which sums it all up. Um, yeah, it, yes, I have no questions.
12: Oh, I'm really, really confident, except for the fact I know what Charlie's doing. And <laughs> you're also missing the fact that Kit hasn't gone yet. Oh, <gasps> Kit! <gasps>
1: oh, no! Have that wild card.
7: Which all right. Shall I dive in?
1: Do it. Beth's like, go on, ruin me.
7: <laughs> hey, kids, do you know what the H4 stand, stands for in history? That's right. Hitler, because nothing has been done more bloody obsessively than the fucking Nazis. Now, before you get to begin properly, let's get one thing clear. The Nazis can all eat a bag of dicks. There is a reason they are synonymous with evil, racism, warmongering and genocide. They were literally anti-Semitic fascists who plunged the world into the largest conflict in human history. They were the baddies. But do we have to talk about them so bloody much? Their despotic regime ended more than 75 years ago, and yet they are still the bar to which everything is compared. And yet the Nazis are a very small part of history itself. The National Socialist German Wankers Party lasted from 1920 until 1945, that is 25 years. There was a longer gap between Raiders of the Lost Ark and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull coming out, and Indy's whole thing was punching the Nazis. And remember, modern fascism was an Italian creation, and Germany, while a major player on the global scene, was really just one country and its dickhead friends. Uh, for the most, most of the world, they shouldn't be that interesting. The Nazi fascination is very white person-centered, so much so that in Thailand, kids know the image of Hitler, but don't know the connotations, and so they've adopted him as a kind of cool logo. You get everything from Hitler fried chicken to school murals, with the Fuhrer hanging out with Batman and the Avengers. And why is he so iconic? Because he shows up in US and UK TV all the time. You think Jack the Ripper shows up too much? The Nazis occur so much as even a phenomenon, Goodwin's Law, that as an internet argument continues, someone is going to mention the Nazis eventually. We have countless TV shows, movies, books about World War II and its minutiae, and it's always the Nazis that get a special focus. As Matt mentioned, there are endless turnover of books about the SS, and as Alex pointed out, there is a cottage industry of making Nazi tat and reenacting their costumes. There are documentaries on the secret weapons of the Nazis, the occult beliefs of the Nazis, the last moments in Nazi bunkers, the planning of Nazi war crimes, the achievement of Nazi war crimes, if you can call it that, the rise of the Nazis, the sex lives of the Nazis, the art stolen by the Nazis. They have become both the bogeyman with zombie Nazis and space Nazis, and a punchline with Taika Waititi Nazis. Without diluting the horrors of what the Nazis did, Just imagine applying the same level of forensic obsession on any other part of history. The sex life of George V, the wacky beliefs of Queen Victoria, the war crimes of Timur the Lame, the last moments of General Custer. They are all frankly far more interesting, but we never see it because we've got yet another documentary about tiger tanks covering exactly the same ground as before. Sincerely, has anyone come up with any original research into the Nazis in the past 40 years because I can't think of a single piece. It's all just twists on stuff we already knew. The worst part of this is that it distorts history, as Matt was pointing out. I'm not saying World War II isn't fascinating, or that we don't need another book by James Holland. It is, and I quite like James Holland's books. I'm saying that by solely focusing on events 75 years ago, we place such emphasis that it affects perceptions today. So we don't trust allies such as Germany and we get shit like Brexit because clowns who want to use World War II phrases such as Blitz and Dunkirk spirit rule supreme. We fuel the far right fr- fringes that thrive on Nazi imagery. And we limit the scope and focus of the public's knowledge of history, which gives us chance for Nazi uh, hate spearing cockbags just to slip away into shades of grey or were they really that bad? This is a prime example of politicising history. Now, the past can be used to manipulate the present. Focusing on the Nazis is a Western-centric approach to history, one that is unhealthy, myopic and pernicious. They were, without the question, a despicable, evil regime, as the horrors of the Holocaust clearly demonstrate. They shouldn't be forgotten. But there is so much more to history than these arseholes.
1: Well done, Kit. Uh, nicely done I thought they were going to get off scot-free as well apart from Matt's little mention although he has pointed out that he has recorded the most ridiculously indulgent five-hour podcast on some new Nazi research about what shitbags the Luftwaffe were um, which is coming up soon on History Hack. Uh, Zach anything on this one?
14: Um, I hear Kit's argument and in a way I kind of I can get where you're going with this there is just a little part of me though that Thinks, is it not useful to have an example of this kind of hate right where you can see it? This is probably the most obvious and most concentrated example of people, as you say, being absolute shitheads that's happened at any point in our history. And so I, I agree there are certainly aspects that are over, overdone. So when you talk about, you know, yet another documentary on tiger tanks, I'm completely with you. But in terms of really impressing on people, why some ideas are dangerous and why you need to be careful in terms of what you say and what you do. For me, I think that I would. Ru- if we're going to pick anything that we should overdo,
7: surely it's got to be the Nazis. OK, I can, I can understand what you're saying. I'm not suggesting that we should forget the Nazis at all. No, I appreciate I'm that. am not suggesting that we should, should move them aside. What I'm saying is that because we're focusing so much on them, We're we're losing a lot of nuance in other areas of history. And because of the way that modern social media works uh, with Facebook, things like that, these ideas aren't diminishing. They're being propagated. Um, And I think that part of that is because of the historical focus we're putting on these guys and girls.
1: Matt, you were shaking your head a minute ago.
13: I think what Kit is saying is not necessarily the Nazis per se are overdone, but the public perception of what they were is we are teaching it wrong and the proof of the pudding is what was happening in places like charlotte north carolina 18 months ago what they were is not how they are being portrayed we are portraying the shiny the cool yeah a tiger tank is cool an fw 190 is cool let's be fair the uniforms look great but the people that were in them that is where the focus does need to be. And I think I you know, say if I'm wrong, Kid, it's that that shiny, the shiny Nazi, the, you know, the gag, you know, or with the baddies. You know, that sort of thing that diminishes who they were. And um, that's I think that that's what I, I took from Kit because you know this there's constant revision of good the good the good Luftwaffe, the good Wehrmacht. No, they're not. They were all bad. They were all Nazis. Yeah. they were all. They were all complicit.
7: That that revisionism, though, is is a very uh, n- new phenomenon. Um, and it, as you're right, it's it's not accurate at all. Um, it's it's sort of trying to almost distort. Again, it's an, it's an example of history being distorted. But I think that if you look at the History Channel, sort of, um, if you turned it on now, I, I would imagine that there's probably going to be a documentary about the Nazis. At some point tonight. Um, it's,
13: it's a, a daily thing. stores a stars actually.
1: <laughs> Holmes, anything on this one?
5: No, I,
1: I was gonna slightly disagree with
5: my judge here, and I think of course it's important to make sure that what they did is never never forgotten. But I think on the other hand, there's such low-level shit written about them or broadcast on TV that there's a danger of saturation now where we all see the same you know cheap documentaries produced for tv using the same footage where you just get desensitized to how bad they were and it's only when you see like you know i mean i don't know what other people think but lawrence reese did some really brilliant documentaries on the holocaust and they're hard-hitting rather than the put together for hardly any money shit you see on other cheap pay tv channels and i think there's such an explosion as you know as kit said there's nazi stuff on certain channels two three times a day every day of the week if not for longer and it either desensitizes people to it or encourages those you know who should know better to, to sort of you know see them in see them in the wrong right and that's why we've got you know arguably you know it legitimizes their wrong behavior to a certain degree so i think possibly out of everything we've heard tonight they are massively overexposed in literature and on television, not necessarily so much in film of recent years, but I think um, yeah, it's uh, I I think they're massively overdone and I think they're done for People people like to watch them. I think people broadcast programs about it without that much responsibility. There are consequences, you know, and then there's the rise of what we were talking about earlier of people want to walk around in the UK dressed up in SS outfits. Mm. That shouldn't happen in any reasonable society whatsoever.
1: Well that we were talking about it while we were there, weren't we, Chris? you're not allowed to do that yeah. in Germany. You get arrested. Oh, no. Even if you get yeah. drunk on the street in Germany and do a Hitler salute, I think you get you get a night in a cell. And France. Yeah. yeah.
7: The, the only the only phenomenon that I've, I've ever seen like it around the world is um, American Civil War reenactment, specifically in the South, dressing up as Confederates. It yeah. seems to be a, a very much a sort of reclaiming the baddies thing. But mm. if you imagine people walking down the streets dressed up as Oliver Cromwell, it's just not going to happen. And that's because the Nazis are just overexposed and oversaturated in our culture.
5: I mean, it's done because it's quite—it's cheap filler—and it either desensitizes people, you know, who then can't see the threat of the other people that it encourages. It's—it's uh, it's a bad thing in my book.
1: Yep, well, um, I'll end this with four words, and that is: Stalin killed more people. Uh, but we've got to get to Charlie because she's the last one to go tonight, and there is a reason that she's been sitting here with a massively smug look on her face. <laughs> the, the rest of you might as well go home. Charlie, this is going. Away. To be- This is going to be
12: so fun.
3: (laughs) I hope so. So I need to start with two disclaimers. One is that going last at this means I've been drinking for three hours. And the second is that on behalf of the ladies of History Hack, who I have spoken to about this, I need to say, though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group, they're rather stupid. (laughs) So... Cast off the shackles of yesterday, shoulder to shoulder into the fray. (laughs) We're not done with down the pub yet. As I bring to you my subject, it's overdone the history of men. (laughs) Hurrah! Hold for applause. Hold for applause. Sorry, I didn't mean to read that out loud. Um, So as soon as I decided on the history of men for my topic... It started to become painfully apparent to me just how overdone it really is. And even tonight, it's been done to death. Think about it. We've had a load of men in puffling pants, getting married too much and killing off their wives when they cease to be of any use to them. A load of men trying to blow up some other men. A load of men being fascist bully boys, a load of men driving a boat into an iceberg, a load of men fighting in the mud and inventing tanks, a load of men helping themselves to a country already owned by some other men, and a man killing women who somehow then becomes a tourist attraction. I'm so done with this, guys. As I sat down to write this pitch, yes, these rants are actually written. There was a moment in which I was genuinely scared to do so. Now, I'm sure there are going to be men listening to me say this both here in the pub and out in the wider world who think I'm being ridiculous. Maybe I'm being hysterical. You'd never feel intimidated by a woman speaking her mind. You'd never feel threatened by a woman who can give as good as she gets in debate or who will laugh at you when you're being ridiculous in the same way as she expects to be laughed at herself. You'd never catcall a woman on the street, corner her in public transport, Grab her ass in the bar, follow her as she tries to walk home, or call her a stuck-up bitch when she doesn't smile at you when you tell her to. And all the things that are much, much worse, you know, we actually shrug off most of the things I've mentioned. To do those things would never cross your mind because you're one of the good ones. I know the good ones. They're here in the pub, and I'm married to a good one. I was scared to write this pitch because of the misogyny I read in the wake of that guy who shot his mother and several others in Plymouth. And I'm purposefully not naming him because he doesn't deserve to be remembered by history. It was suggested that the reason he shot all those people with his gun was because of women even if we're going to collectively allow for his mother to be blamed in the same way that we can blame our parents for any faults in our characters, you know, it was a man who said that was the case. I refuse to accept that the women who may have may have refused his advances are to blame because they did literally nothing. Even more so, I refuse to blame the female teacher's who are accused of somehow squashing the spirit of young men in their care, Jesus Christ, all young men have to do is open a history book to be inspired into greatness. History teachers cannot help but teach the great man theory of history because it's kind of the only theory of history out there to be studied. Hence, it is overdone. Allow me to explain. Sorry if I'm nagging. In 1840, the philosopher Thomas Carlyle philosophized that, quote, universal history, the history of what man has accomplished in this world, is the history of great men who have worked here. They were the leaders of men, these great ones, the modelers, patterns, and in a wide sense, creators of whatsoever the general mass of men contrived to do or to attain. All things that we see standing accomplished in the world are properly the outer material result, the practical realisation and embodiment of thoughts that dwelt in the great men sent into the world. The soul of the world's history, it may justly be considered, were the history of these, end quote. Not only does this philosophy do a massive disservice to the majority of men, the men who did the actual work while the great men directed them. But it also completely erases women. Now, I'm not saying that it was women who battled it out in the Somme or etc., etc. There is a lot to be said for the soft power exercised by women on the sidelines of history. And ignoring that idea does us all a disservice. Reverting to my comfort zone, consider the role of Queen Henrietta Maria, consort to King Charles I, Your basic reading of history will tell you that she could have had no influence whatsoever in her husband's slow march to war against his own people and eventual beheading. But wouldn't the story be so much more interesting if we acknowledged the power of a formidable woman over her spouse? Charles may have been prepared to make more concessions to the will of Parliament without a Bourbon Medici in his bed. A woman unprepared to see her husband's power diminished or her son's birthright jeopardized. My point is, that by only focusing upon the actions of men in history, we lose half the story. And sometimes, just sometimes, that story is worth looking for, worth considering. The topics discovered tonight have all been overdone in their own ways, and they are all, with perhaps one exception, reducing and relegating the role of women into non-existence. Bloody hell, I'm turning into a Tudors fan. I'm no man hater, and I'm not even suggesting that we can change very far from the status quo. We just don't have the contemporary sources detailing women's role in history that we have for great men. History has always been written by the winners and to flatter their own achievements and justify their usurpations, <coughs> Tudors. And women have largely been illiterate or their letters not thought worthy of preservation. Writing as I have been about Barbara Villiers has been a constant frustration because the letters in her own hand that survive are few and far between. And some of those are letters that have been rewritten from memory by the man she wrote them to aged 17. And please, God, do not let me be remembered by what I wrote to boys when I was 17. So we turn to the available primary sources, all written by men. And there you have it countless biographies of women based solely upon what men wrote about them. Writing a serious history in this way would be like sitting down in 400 years time and trying to write about Hillary Clinton using only Facebook. Short of banging my head against the wall, I'm not sure how I propose we change this going forward. God forbid I suggest rewriting history to my own political feminist agenda. But I do think that the overdone topics discussed tonight warrant rediscussion and reconsideration so that the parts played by women, by people of colour, by anyone who wasn't a straight, cis, white male should be understood. Even if they were on the periphery, don't we want to see the whole picture? Shouldn't we be looking harder to find the whole story? All of the overdone topics this evening could be revitalised by looking outside of the patriarchal circus Surface, circus, surface, it's all the same. Reading of their events. Let's forget Jack the Ripper's name and learn about his victims. Let's discuss the female attitude to the spread of Nazism in Germany, get to know what Eva Braun was thinking, what say Magda Goebbels had over the poisoning of her six children. And you just know that there would have been a woman on the Titanic suggesting pulling over and asking for directions over driving into an iceberg. Your topics are not overdone. The history of men within them is.
1: Oh, Mike! drop. There was a moment in that when Dorman was looking at you as if to say, I bought a whole fucking continent and she brings every guy ever. Damn you, Charlie. Damn you. Yes. <laughs> Actually, yes. I was a-
4: trying not to fall off my chair, but that pro- thought did go through my head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Holmes. Are men overdone? Bring it on! Yes,
5: very much so. Very <laughs> much so. There's, there's, there's very little I can, you know, there's very little I can say in by way of cross examination. It made perfect sense. It's exactly spot on. I mean, you know,
1: and and your wife uh, will I mean, beat you if you don't agree with. Her.
5: <laughs> well, I'm mean, going think the, the issue with a lot of history actually is, it's you know, most of, most history is written by posh white men to the exclusion of absolutely everyone else, including men, but then women below that mm. as well. You know, I know it's, I was just scrabbling around for something desperate I can add to this. And i was certainly reminded of when I went to Vindolanda and the first written communication by anyone, either it's either in Europe or in the UK, is by a woman whose letter was found as one of the Vindolanda tablets. And, you know, not many people know that. So, I mean, you know, we We've talked about a lot tonight, but I don't think there's anything that can compete with that unfortunately I just, I urge, to, you
1: to, urge you to go back and listen to an episode we did with a fantastic historian in the states, where he he has a book um all about women in the history of islam and like literally number one in the book is oh yeah, the prophet's wife because he couldn't have done any of it and founded the religion without her actually so she she gets as she should get as much credit as him um So there are people out there trying to do it. But Zach, it's a losing battle,
14: isn't it? I was going to say, amen, but then I'm talking about men again. So it's it's the wrong thing to say.
3: (laughs) It's, It's cool. It's all good. It's all good.
14: That was incredible. The only thing I would disagree with you on, Charlie, is at one point you said just sometimes women are worth looking at. And I disagree because actually all of the time. Women oh. are worth looking at it um, when it comes to our study of the past because you, uh, I've got nothing else that I can reasonably add because you've put it so eloquently. You know, oh, you. the way in which we look at women in history has predominantly been very sexualized. It's, it's, it's a fucking mess, and it needs. Yeah, stopping. I mean, just
1: t- just um, take Henry the Ape's wives, Catherine of Aragon. Oh, she couldn't have a baby properly. What a loser, Anne Boleyn, slut. Catherine Howard, slut. Jane Seymour dies in childbirth out of okay. cleaves yeah lovely how stupid katherine no, didn't Parr. know her place uh just <laughs> in those six women you have yeah. every trope of misogyny going yeah yeah
14: i think there aren't going to be any prizes for working out what the order's going to be tonight <laughs> Either.
1: Does. i, don't, I, don't, I don't, <laughs> don't think i've ever seen her so smug <laughs> You knew she was gonna win as soon as she was like, I'm just gonna Why is
13: it whenever I show up down the pub, Charlie wins?
1: <laughs> you're my you're well, my lucky your own star just voted for her. So yeah, I mean,
5: if Charlie's pitch was lacking one thing, it was you know, you could have done it in a comedy act
1: Or in a bikini. I'll just go. <laughs> She's looking at me like, I will kill you. Right. i go, okay. go
3: and get one if that's what it takes.
1: Yeah, you don't need it. You don't need it because you won. I think you've won with your words. But while we uh, play the game and go around the room and see who everyone else would have voted for, um, if it wasn't Charlie, <laughs> I'm so
3: good. Game. Lockie's left. He's I know, just gone. He
1: just ran away. <laughs> no, he went to get another drink. <laughs> Locky, lucky. Lockie, Lockie, Lockie,
2: just chucked ketchup all over his kitchen, is, is just what happened then. <laughs> um I was I was I was so inspired by all the talk of womanhood. That Either I that or you've just murdered your
1: girlfriend because that looks like a horror <laughs> film. <laughs> right, okay, Lockie. Uh would you have voted for Charlie?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think if someone had said the history of white people, then I probably would have voted for them, uh, actually. But um in lieu of that.
1: We'll, uh, we'll ask Dorman's like, fuck you. all uh, right, we'll ask everyone who you would have voted for. And if Charlie wasn't here, who would you have voted for? <laughs> Please don't say Dorman because I just want to see him fall off his chair again.
2: Clive, I thought Clive was fucking great. Love Clive.
1: Love Clive too. Clive, who would you have voted for? Oh, he's frozen. Clive, I
10: thought the Jack the Ripper pitch was brilliant. It was. Who did. Sorry, I thought okay. Jack Ripper was absolutely excellent.
1: Yes, that was Kate. And that was phenomenal. It happened so far back in this endless proceedings, but that was uh, marvelously done by Kate. Uh, I think if I, wasn't, if I wasn't obviously so swayed by Charlie pointing out that everything is about penis in the world of history, uh, then I may have gone for Beth or Kate as well. Because just Beth, I've never seen Beth so sweary and hilarious. And Kate's was just brilliantly put together. Can I vote for Beth as well? Yes, you may. Boney.
13: Well Wendy's voted for Charlie literally is Charlie Your finished? wife
1: is sitting right behind you. If you don't vote for Charlie, Thank you, Wendy. You're so much trouble. If you literally you'll just be the misogynist pig in the room if you don't <laughs> vote for Charlie right now. But yeah,
13: I everybody else is voting for Charlie. I think I feel I should give the love to somebody All else. All right, okay. What...
1: You loved Charlie's, but yeah. if you don't <laughs> and vote and, for and,
13: Charlie... and, as, and as we're doing an episode next week together, I've got to be nice to him. <laughs> Um <laughs> I'm 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 going to I'm going to vote for Kate.
1: Another good shout. Chris. Um
9: obviously ignoring the I um, i uh, I'd vote for Charlie as well. Um, um because um I, I I always go for the underdog and uh, I can't vote for Jack the Ripper or World War 2 and Nazis because I've looked at my book collection. Um <laughs> so I I'm, I'm going to vote for the real underdog and vote for Heather because She's the, a non-European, and I, I feel her pain uh, about having to hear about Columbus all the time. And to quote my sister, Christopher is a name that turds would have if t- turds had names. So, yeah, I vote for Columbus.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Christopher. <laughs> 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 That's so mean. Dorman.
7: Um, i
4: just Nazis, Kit. i right? <laughs> I don't want to watch another documentary about Hitler's secret weapons or Hitler's secret warehouse or Hitler's <laughs> secret dog farm. I don't know, but there's <laughs> one about everything and I'm sick of it. So yeah, Kit. just
1: leave the factories alone. Right. My ego is tender. <laughs> <laughs> Kit. Or
4: secret architecture. And it's about the fucking Nazi bunkers in Northern France, which
7: were blown up by a tall boy. Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kit.
7: Well, um, obviously, Charlie was fantastic, but if we're not going to go for women, then I've also got to discount Beth and Kate, who I thought was fantastic. They don't count anymore.
1: Um... <laughs> no, what about <laughs> me and my war poets? I worked really hard
7: on that pitch. I'm the, I, I, I think First World War is a good shout, um, actually. Yeah, it's 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 so overdone with the misery. I don't know if it's overdone or misdone, but it, it, it I, is. Do you really know what? It was challenge. really
1: interesting. It had never occurred to me till Kate said it, but... <laughs> Is it that it's overdone or is it just because it's not nearly as done as World War Two, but mm. it is badly done a lot of the time?
7: Yeah, I, mean, it's, I think badly done, it wins. Um, and for misdone, I think, uh, or, or overdone, then History of Men, absolutely.
6: James? Um, before Charlie just blew everyone's arguments out the water with a fantastic presentation, I actually had a tie. I was stuck between Kate's uh, Jack the Ripper and Heather's Christopher Columbus because I could not decide between them. They were both fantastic.
1: Yeah, I feel like if there were more Americans in the room, Heather would be faring a lot better. Um, I, I do feel her pain. Like when I've still been looking at the amount of stuff named after the fucker and it's a lot. I mean, he gets a lot of airplay.
11: Honestly, it, it's so hard to decide. I mean, of course, Charlie just, yeah um no words that that's that's monumental for me so um it wasn't charlie it's so tough because like a good pretty much everybody i'm like yep that's way overdone so's that and that and that so i'm not honestly sure i can even choose (laughs) okay uh who else have we
1: got kate i didn't ask you um. So I
8: think because the war I think the war is badly done not overdone um, and because they're more mainstream than the Nazis and more international than Guy Fawkes or 1066 I would have to go with the Judas
1: Dorman says my girlfriend's teddy bear is a raging misogynist so he doesn't vote for Charlie so there but to be fair that teddy's been staring over your shoulder for the whole episode mm-hmm. it looks like a fucking sociopath <laughs> <laughs>
4: it is it is he just stares at us constantly. Well,
1: not all. The time. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> dial it back. Dial it back. Let's go to Beth quick before people start visualising.
12: <laughs> oh, I've already started. <laughs> Too, late. Too late. Too late. Too um,
1: late. <laughs> uh, obviously, a bit sick.
12: Go on, on. <laughs> obviously, obviously, I loved Charlie's, and ever since I knew about it, when she told me the other weekend. Um, I was absolutely like I I can't wait for this it's going to be so good and it really was so other than Charlie's absolutely blowing everyone out of the water I'd probably have to go with um, well I think Dorman as well with Europe I think was a was really was really really interesting really insightful and and even though we all know about that side of it and we all know because we're not stupid I think it was just nice to have it refreshed for us Excellent. Judges, take it away. Poor Zach. Poor Zach was supposed to be
1: off this 25 minutes ago, and it just will not end.
5: Um, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to go first um, to announce the runners-up. And it was interesting, because I'm trying to do this in the most spoiler-free way possible, but Zach and I were debating a history hack first of having three first places tonight, until we heard one. Um, which were Beth, Lockie, and Kit. And we unanimously agreed that there was nothing that was going to touch those. But then one turned up and then Zach. Yeah. So um, this is, as, as you say, Holmes, this
14: is like the worst kept secret. So tonight's winner is Dorman. No, I'm kidding. It's Charlie. Yeah.
5: <laughs> I was so hoping you were going to do that.
1: Dorman believed you for about 0.5 of <laughs> the second. there, his little face.
3: I'd like to thank my mum for making me a raging feminist. I'd like to thank God. And- <laughs>
1: Please, Why say no, please don't get your forward, with outro on us. This is long enough already. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You like me? You really like me? Oh, look, is your husband sitting next to you?
3: No, he's downstairs. I'm, I'm not surprised. Drunk in the office, pretty, it's on my own,
1: fucking unbearable right now.
3: <laughs> oh, he's got all this to deal with later. <laughs>
1: yeah, if you want to go bounding down the stairs and remind him that you are victorious once again? Uh, yeah. No question, really, was there? Right, okay, that's us. Uh, It's only the three and a half hours this time. We've managed to keep it quite short for us. I'm going to try and edit it down, don't worry. Uh, I'm trying to edit mostly the bit at the beginning where we were plotting ways to kill that referee. We'll probably take some of that out or make it an extended cut on Patreon. Uh, Guys, thank you very much. Stay tuned on History Hack. We've got some exciting stuff coming up, including Matt's never-ending five-hour podcast about the Luftwaffe being really horrible um, that is apparently amazing. You're really excited about that.
13: It was literally mind-blowing. It won't be five just, hours.
1: The way I, hang, I on, hang on, what's what's Lockie doing? <laughs> no, <what are laughs> I to we,
13: We're we're talking about Luftwaffe Nazis, and it looks like um, Lockie's enjoying it a little bit too much. Yeah,
1: yeah. Lockie is shaking a cocktail, you pervert. <laughs> uh, I just uh-huh. picture you, you and Phil on the phone going, "No, you, hang, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up." Uh, and we have. Also, it was a bit like that, yeah. We've also got a super cut of the Band of Brothers casting coming up, haven't we? For people, we
13: we do, and we'll have a. If I can get any of your time and Woody's time, we'll do a little reminisce at the beginning as well.
1: Indeed, and more sharp coming up, which one of us will edit Zach, I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. One of us will edit it because I saw Jason at that military fair and he was like, why, why is it not been on? Uh, right. So we will do that. Uh, and how many episodes are we recording next week, Zach?
14: Oh, about 3000.
1: Excellent. Can't wait. Brilliant. We will catch you on the other side.
13: When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support. And here's to your next great book.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion
12: without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so
1: much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.